0: Black Jack with Griffin and David Black Jack with Griffin and David Don't know what to say or to expect All you need to know is that the name of the show is Black Jack
1: My whole life has been nothing but a hole Where my podcast should have been It always left me aching, but I never thought about what it did to you I, d- okay. I don't have a Dakota. Uh,
0: No, I'd be impressed if you did. Yeah.
1: Is this the last, like, this is sort of the end of the
0: run of child Dakota, Look, right? This is unfortunately all I want, all I was thinking about for most of it. The- I was like, man, the Dakota star arc is is weird. Yes, We're this is dig the into end it. of, of uh, young Dakota, I guess, because right. next year is new moon. And then the year after that is The Runaways. And I feel like that's when it's like she's a, you know, a grown up
1: star. Right. But she becomes supporting or if she's lead, it's in much smaller films. But this is the end of this insane run in which like not even like Macaulay Calkin, but where a small girl became like a prestige highbrow movie star.
0: It's a weird, it's a weird thing. Um, there are, look, there are a it, lot of career also, arcs
1: to talk about here. Yes, there are. But what were you going to say? It's also it's just,
0: it's also just funny that like, she was like, you know, one of the big kid actresses when, you know, in the two thousands and she's still around, but her sister is the one who got famous in a way.
2: I feel really bad about that.
0: <laughs> it's odd. I don't know. Yeah. But, like, it's, it's like, yeah. I, I remember Elle playing baby Dakota in I Am Sam The movie mm-hmm. that like launched the Dakota Fanning thing mm-hmm. And it You know that was, it was just a little fact It was like oh yeah and she has a little sister who looks like Like looks like her you know She played <laughs> little baby her And and I am a noted L
1: stan I've talked mm. about her A lot on this podcast when she comes up I think she's a great actress It is weird how Dakota Has just sort of become The, the Secondary Fanning, yeah, that's what Just, I'm saying. It's despite odd. still working. I mean, it's not She's like she working. backed away. Um, they were a mid-production in that there was the film. What's it called? I don't. It remember. might. It might be called The Nightingale. Also, but it was uh, Melanie Laurent directing. Yes, it's called The Nightingale. Oh, the World
3: War II movie? Or is that a different... And it was supposed to be
1: a big Oscar release at the end of this year. And then obviously production got shut down. And now they don't know when it will resume. But I was excited about that movie. A, because I like Melanie Laurent as a director. And B, because I like the idea of putting both of the Fannings in there. I feel like it's time for a
0: real Dakota surge sure Looks, yeah. yeah yeah i mean fine i supported. support it i like dakota she's she seems nice she's good chris at, white said in, she was uh, so great
1: once upon a time in hollywood she's good in that like all her small yeah. appearances she's been good in
0: she's good in the twilight movies She's yeah, she's good. She is. She's, good uh, little movies. She is. she's a little creepy person. I, I vaguely remember it. I haven't seen her. She's one of the the, the Sheen.
2: She's a Volturi. Yes. She's the Volturi. I
0: just right.
1: watched cool New Italian Moon like, two days ago. Right. It's it's Michael Sheen, Dakota Fanning
0: and the pretty boy from Sweeney Todd.
3: Jamie something. Oh,
0: Jamie Campbell Bauer. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, as someone who has watched the closing credits of Breaking Dawn Part 2 many times.
1: It's one of your favorite videos.
0: Yes, I love the closing credits set to... What's that song? I can't remember.
1: Um, (laughs) Yeah, that.
0: I know everyone who is in the Twilight movies. A
1: thousand years. That one, a thousand years song. That's it. we'll, We'll dig into all of this because, of course, this is a podcast called Blank Check. It's about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their career and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. Which doesn't really apply with this career, but kind of does sideways. This is it's a miniseries applying. on the films of Gina prince mm-hmm. And The miniseries is called Pod and Basket Cast. And today we're talking about, is this her highest grossing film?
0: Yes, I believe so uh the secret life of bees i mean unless you count um, netflix saying that you know a billion good gajillion people watch the old guard
1: yeah i i'm looking here there's a new netflix update apparently everyone who has ever died yes. in the spirit realm has also watched right. the old guard
0: that's right that's right yes it has uh one quadrillion views i
1: look On the record, not to get ahead of ourselves, I love The Old Guard. I'm very happy if it's doing well. It's a little bit weird that, like, early in a week, Netflix releases, here are our top 10 most-watched movies of all time. And they put that list out, and Old Guard is not on it. And then two days later, they're like, never mind. Old Guard is the most popular movie ever. So, number one. Uh, Our guest today, returning... And uh, sounded like she had something to say about Netflix statistics. So I (laughs) want to introduce her so she can dig into this. Uh, From the Bad Romance podcast. From uh, Browse Held High. New podcast on Patreon. Uh, Great film critic. uh, Great friend of the show, Jordane Searles. Uh, What do you want to say about Netflix's dodgy numbers?
2: I don't... (laughs) I don't understand Netflix's film model. I think that that's all I was going to say. I don't really get their numbers. I don't really, but I don't really understand Netflix as a brand at all. But you know, whatever. Sure. They're,
1: they're hemorrhaging money. I'm sure. I don't know. Well, I look, I have been a, a, not, I don't want to say a Netflix truther, but I've been a a person who for the last couple of years is like Netflix is, no pun intended, a house of cards that might collapse within two years. Like, it it was built upon just, like, uh, increasing amounts of debt, outspending everyone else in the hopes that they could outlast everyone else just long enough. Like, much like what happened with Amazon, where Amazon, like, was losing money every year until Jeff Bezos became the richest man in the world. What a great, great reality we live in. Sure. That, That was the model that Netflix was chasing. I think, actually... The pandemic has saved them. Like, I think their subscriber rate has gone up so high, and now all these other streaming services launching are bombing in a way that Netflix might have been given the Hail Mary pass by our broken
0: world. Unfortunately, I've written about this too much, and people who know more about the stock market have gotten in touch with me and said, like, Netflix was never in trouble. It's the same thing as Amazon, where it's like, I look at it and I'm like, this makes no sense. They don't make money. And they lose more money every so year. So much debt. So much uh, debt. Right. People yeah, don't understand it, how much. Yeah, debt. Yeah, but you can like just that. sell the debt. It, I mean, like, every, like everyone is just like, no. I mean, you, it's, the, it's the Amazon story. It's just like no, they they know <sighs> yeah. what they're doing. Capitalism's weird.
1: Nothing matters. I also think Jourdain, like Netflix made the decision because when they started out, it was like, wait a second, are they going to be streaming HBO? Are they going to be like prestige? There's a high level of quality, no, they're high level bust. of talent. Not even. They're Walmart. They're like our brand is Walmart. It's just everything for cheap. Yeah, which
2: is which reminds me. I tried to watch something on voodoo last night, and I was just like, absolutely not. Everything about voodoo, like, is offensive to me personally. But I did see that they, uh, I don't know if you were aware of this, but Voodoo, it's probably canceled now, but Voodoo like launched a show, which means that Walmart launched Mm -hmm. a show and it was like a Mr. Mom sitcom starring Hayes MacArthur. Yes, I was going to bring
1: this up. Yes. And I
2: feel so bad for Hayes MacArthur every single time I think about it. I'm just like, he's a funny guy. I don't want this for him.
0: Wait, is, is Voodoo <laughs> owned by Walmart? I don't think yes. I knew that. Yes. Voodoo, wow.
2: Voodoo is a Walmart streaming service. Wow. But they I just mean, I, I,
1: I see Sold it. it off. Walmart sold it to Fandango. So, like, I feel additionally bad for Hayes MacArthur, because not only are you on a Mr. Mom reboot on a streaming platform, that borderline doesn't exist where no one knows there's any level of original content. But also, it was one of those things where Walmart was like, we're going to make a ton of shows. Walmart is going to be making shows. And then they made that one show and they're like, we're kind of out of the making show business. But here's one show as a remnant of that.
0: And then they sold the whole platform. Hmm. Uh, Wow. There's so many of these platforms. It's so weird. Yeah. Voodoo. It's always being pushed on me. They're always like, don't you want to check out voodoo and then I look at it it's just another way to watch movies
2: just logging into voodoo pissed me off (laughs) (laughs) their their on-screen keyboard is is blue because it's walmart but the contrast with the letters is not good and i just couldn't find the fucking letters and i was just cussing the entire time and then by the time i got to it like the movie that i wanted i still had to pay money it's like i can rent this on youtube i didn't need to do this
1: (laughs) the the value of voodoo If Ah, I can even call it that the Voodoo value, the V squared Mm. was this, this hack. It's not even really a hack, but the, the sort of the value was uh, movies anywhere, which links together your purchases from any platform to every other platform was compatible with Voodoo. It still is, but it seems like they're nerfing this feature a little bit in terms of limiting what you can do it with. They had a thing for a while where if you scanned the barcode of a movie you own, you could then Uh, get it on digital for Vudu for only $2. Sure. And then you'd get it on iTunes through movies anywhere. But also, all it mattered was that you were scanning the barcode from your home in terms of location, your zip code, but you could pull up a photo of a barcode on your computer and take a photo of that on your camera phone. You've already
3: lost me halfway just, like, describing it. This does seem (laughs)
1: very hackable. (laughs) I mean, look, I made out like a bandit. I I got a robust (laughs) voodoo library, which slid over to my iTunes library, but now I have no value for voodoo anymore. Wow. Wow. Anyway, voodoo this is uh, that voodoo that you do, our podcast about voodoo. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, don't know, I don't think so.
1: Yes, it is. It's a voodoo podcast. Voodoo <laughs> bought us, David.
0: A voodoo could buy us they, they could make an offer. I just I, you know I want to hear. It. I would put a number on it, you know
1: uh no, this is a miniseries on the films of Gina Prince Bythewood, and we're talking about the secret life of bees, a film that weirdly, I feel like is the the movie that gets forgotten about in her canon. Like people forget that she made this, but as we said, is her, her biggest film.
0: It's her highest grossing film. And it's probably the one that got the biggest sort of like oscar kind of push. Like, you know, yeah. it had your class. It was a Fox searchlight movie. It came out in the fall. They premiered it at um, the Toronto Film Festival, you know, like based on a book, a best-selling book. Right. Um, Beyond you know, the, the Lights Oomph.
1: and Love in Basketball were not viewed as sort of serious awardsy movies. and Which this is was weird very...
2: because Beyond the Lights is like a serious awardsy movie. Like, it when is you watch and it, it rules. And that's what it is. It
1: is the most classical Hollywood awards movie. And yeah. David and I have argued about this for years. I think it's just better earlier star is born. And it was very perplexing to me to watch beyond the lights get roundly ignored. And then five years later, everyone flip out over stars born, which I don't dislike.
2: And no. Yeah, no, I totally understand. I, I really like beyond the lights and I really like Love a it. star is born and I agree with you. And I've also seen all the other versions of a star is yeah. born. So yeah, I mean, it does, it does fit in. I don't know. Maybe it's, I'm trying to figure out what could have, gone wrong with it because i mean all of the ingredients are there i guess just its
0: issue lack of stars i think was its issue um obviously uh, stars i would say big star power thing it was sold kind of it, it wasn't really sold well
1: right she hung a movie on two people who were not named stars at that point in time which is already an uphill battle um, and it wasn't positioned... Like, they didn't send it to festivals. No, they, no, just they did. It was, it-, it was the
0: opening really? night movie at Toronto. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Beyond the Lights was? Yeah. I had no idea. See, yeah, I was just remember movie. it sort of just being, like, dropped wide release opening well, weekend. That they didn't really push it like it was... Well, it was party. relativity, which That's was the a weird I was little say. studio
0: that was relativity sort of like was to about stick out. to go
1: under. Like this is right when relativity is spiraling and collapsing, and Ryan. Kavanaugh so I think that was, was also
0: an issue. Right. But it was a well reviewed. I think in terms of it not sticking with audiences, like yeah, it premiered at Thanksgiving time, and yeah. it didn't have big stars, and even though it was well reviewed. For whatever reason, people just kind of ignored it, uh, which is rude because it is it's great. And I can't wait yeah. to rewatch it. I can't wait um, either. I also it's actually my War.
2: favorite movie from her. Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah.
0: I think it might be. Mm, I'm not sure. Mm, I'm going well, to have to rewatch. I'm not sure. But
2: I'm also very weirdly not a love and basketball fan. I feel like. Right. <laughs> Interesting. And it's a real. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why. Like there are things about it that I really enjoy. And Sanaa Lathan is, I'll watch her do anything. I met her once and my my glasses were broken. And it was just like, it was like <laughs> the fate came together to put me in this weird position where I got to meet such a beautiful woman with my glasses, like literally falling off my face. Like I had like tape and I had like positioned the arm and the arm was coming off. And uh, anyway, she was very, very nice and said that she liked my name and she's very, very beautiful. But I don't know. I
0: broke my glasses. <laughs> she, she is very beautiful.
1: My favorite actor of all time, Philip Seymour Hoffman. The one time I got to meet him, I was an intern in the production offices of uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which that whole movie was shot on sound stages. So like the actors would come into the office a lot. But he's so intense and like in his bubble that he wouldn't. And he came in. It was like a half day where he rapped early because Sidney Lamette always wanted to go to the Hamptons on Fridays and he'd work so fast that they would rap at lunch. So I was eating lunch at my desk and I was like the lowest ranking intern. So I was the desk closest to the door. So I could like weed out the the chaff or whatever. And I was eating corn on the cob. So wow. my hands were wow. covered in butter. Wow. And Philip Seymour Hoffman comes in in like, sweats. Like, top to bottom, sweats. Pants, top. And he's gotten, like, he's wrapped for the day. He's finished his acting. And it looks like someone just performed an exorcism on him. Like, he's <laughs> drenched in sweat. And his, like, soul is out of his body. Like, he's just like, I've given myself to my craft. I'm done. And he comes in and he's, like, doing, like, full Philip Seymour Hoffman, like, befuddled sort of thing. And he goes like, uh, uh, d- d- uh do you do you have a pen? I, I need to uh, r- write something down. My bad Philip Seymour Hoffman impression. And I'm just holding corn on the cob like Bugs Bunny, <laughs> like eating it like a typewriter, butter dripping the corn? down my face <laughs> and my hands. And I went, yeah, there's a pen right there. You can just
0: grab it for yourself.
1: And I was trying to say you don't want me to hand you a pen because
0: I Mm. am a butter boy. I got literal butter. You're sounding like you're like what am I? Your pen person? Go the pen's over there.
1: Right. And he went oh, okay and like took the pen and walked away. And I was like wow what a terrible interaction. Someday I'll get to (laughs) I'll get to restore. I'll be able to share this as an anecdote. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Terrible. I just feel like you always meet the best people under the worst circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. I'm not really, I was, I was actually, that was like a, the day that I met. So I was doing press for God. What is that movie that no one saw? The new native son. Yeah. Oh, I, went, I yeah. interviewed the whole cast, and it's like a really interesting cast full of like yeah. people that like, you know, have, like Ashton Sanders and stuff, but it was just weird doing press for a movie that no one watched. And it ultimately ended up no one
0: watching. The, the, the only thing I remember from that was the premiere of Sundance last year and it got bought by hbo for a bajillion dollars before yep. it we even got to see it like we were walking into the theater and we already know like hbo bought this and we're like okay and then i remember this the, the screen lights up they show the sundance pre-roll and then the hbo films logo plays and they had announced it that day That's and so everyone fast. in the room was like oh that was the biggest reaction everyone was like how'd they get the logo in so fast It's a very, very, very boring recollection. The other thing I remember about that movie is that, spoiler alert, when the insane thing happens, the whole audience gasped. And I was like, did no one read this book in high school? I thought this was like a signed reading.
2: (laughs) it's such a weird adaptation and also it's a very weird adaptation everyone felt i don't know like when i was interviewing them they felt the white people were very uncomfortable when i interviewed them for that movie which i think is which i thought was really great i was like no talk about (laughs) i met maggie qualley qualley i don't know what her name is qualley Qualley,
0: i'm not sure yeah and then robinson right love Simon, simon himself right
2: yeah, Nick Robinson did most of the talking because I would ask her a question and she'd just be like, you're Nick. I just be like, "I just didn't expect the love Simon guy to be the one doing most of the talking. I, I, I think know. she didn't want to talk because I told her that she was great in Death Note and I think she thought I was making fun of her and I wasn't.
1: <laughs> OK, you want to talk about <laughs> awkward celebrity love, encounters? She, she's, good, is, she's a
0: good actress. I generally like her. She anytime she pops up, I'm like, she's hey. always good. This yeah. is uh,
1: on the subject of awkward celebrity encounters. This has also happened to me a lot where I meet someone famous and I go, Hey, you were great in blank and they think I'm
0: trolling them. Cause the I Neil have Patrick Harris story. That's the right. one I like. Yeah. I
1: met Neil Patrick Harris and I said, Hey, you're great in undercover brother. And he gave me the iciest glare of all time. And he went that one.
0: <laughs> he, is now, he, right? is. he is. That's he is. his best performance. Right. <laughs> I was being I mean, genuine. He's in like, he's what? in, he's in a look down
2: on undercover. Bro- that's I don't know. The best word.
0: He, yes. he <laughs> shouldn't, he shouldn't look down on it. Maybe. I mean, he's not in it that much. So maybe he's kind of like, I mean, Okay. <laughs> Like, yeah, I've it, I've thrown quality, myself around the Broadway stage. I did magic. <laughs>
2: it was great I assassin. You said like a million ways to die in the West no. or something. Like, I feel like that would be the troll answer. That no, would be
0: very quality. trolly. I love you yeah. in beastly. That's no, my base yeah. MPH poll.
1: Look, I saw beastly. Okay. I wasn't saying you were good in beastly, but I feel like very often people think I'm trying to think of other examples. The Neil Patrick Harris one is the big one. Jordan, I feel like you are somewhat similar to David and I in that I will see you very often shout out a great performance in a movie that no one is even putting any thought into, Right. Right. Like, I feel like very often people, if a movie isn't good or especially if a movie isn't successful, they just throw the whole thing away. They just treat it like, well, that doesn't work. And I feel like we on this podcast love being like, this is a really good performance. This person yeah. is getting what this movie is. You should be able to extract good elements from a not wholly successful movie. And I feel like successful actors very often, if the movie isn't successful, treat their own work the same way. Like they're like, I must be bad in that because that didn't make money. Sure. No, it's not, yeah, it's not true. I mean, I
0: don't, right. I guess some actors just don't rewatch their work as well. Maybe so he's just like... You know, he maybe has never even seen Undercover Brother. Who knows? I a just shame. love that one. It's so it was, weird. That was the wording. That one? Yeah,
2: that one? That I one? actually just bought a DVD of Undercover Brother, a used one, because I was like, I need to have this in my life. I it's was thinking so about
1: it. Oh, man, did it ever come out on Blu-ray? Now I wonder, like, do I, do I need to get high def Undercover Brother? Listen, today we're talking about The Secret Life of bees. Now, this is one of those examples of a movie where, like, the book gets optioned at the galley stage. Lauren Shuler Donner, who's a big producer, gets sent the galleys in the way that I think a lot of big producers, the big publishers will just send them any new books they have coming out. And so she reads it at that stage before it becomes this massive bestseller and goes, wow, this is a movie, buys the rights uh, or options them. I think it it takes about six years. She carries it over to a couple different studios. I think it starts out at Big Fox and then it goes somewhere else and then it ends up at Fox Searchlight. But over that period of time, the book just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger.
0: It was definitely at focus at some point because that's when David Gordon Green was going to make it.
1: That was the big thing I was going to say. They went through a lot of people, but David Gordon Green was the big one for a while. And that's when they announced like Dakota Fanning is going to do it. She's a little young for the character as written. But what a weird phenomenon that we have this major prestige movie star who is nine years old. We have to rewrite this around her. And David Gordon Green, I guess they mostly were hiring because they're like, this guy made Undertow and George Washington.
0: Yeah, because like he's a right. He's the guy who makes your sensitive Malikian, you know, and Southern I don't know. Right. Yeah, he's a Southern guy a right. child I, I based dramas.
2: I love David Gordon Green's early work and his yeah. later work is very confusing to me. But okay. anyway. He <laughs>
0: yes. he really weirds me out because I t- I remember I loved his like All the Real Girls is I one of love those movies. All the real
1: girls. I
0: adore that movie. I haven't seen it in years. I've almost like three should movies. I revisit? Yeah. Yes.
1: That that yeah. early trilogy, I think, is perfect. Like yeah. George Washington, saw, All the Real Girls Under Toe, I love.
0: They're great. I never saw Snow Angels. I know that kind of like didn't okay. go over. Yeah. Snow it's,
2: Angels is yeah, it's like yeah. meh.
0: It's meh. And then he had his real, like sort of, you know, uh what's his name? Danny McBride Apatow. sort of stonery right. comedy run. Right. And then then he was doing stuff like our brand is crisis where I was like, is he just like a for hire guy now? Like, I don't get it. And then Stronger was a movie that I like loved. And I was like, even though it was kind of ignored and it was like a, you know, feel good Oscar real life movie. I was like, oh, this is so well directed. And like, i I'm so happy like that he's making and then he now he's like trapped in Halloween land. So I don't know what's up with that. But that's, I yeah. don't
2: like him doing Halloween.
0: I don't either. I, I don't either. I mean, I've had no desire to revisit that movie. Like I, you know, I saw it with a cheering audience. It was fine. Like, but yeah, I don't yeah. I don't really know.
2: Yeah, I stood in line for it I was at the festival I actually sat next to Elijah Wood To see the movie And that was That's the experience that I think
0: Did he have a good time? Did he Did Elijah enjoy it at least?
2: Oh wait, was it? No, okay, wait, no I saw Us with Elijah Wood Who did I see? Oh, that's that's cooler I think I ran into someone else for Halloween But no Elijah Wood seems to like Just be like a chill guy
0: (laughs) He's like a chill guy Who likes horror movies and stuff Yeah, he just likes just likes
2: to go to the movies
1: He likes
0: a genre film. I bet (laughs) if you told Elijah
1: Wood, I loved you in Flipper, he would say, thank you. (laughs) He wouldn't be like, that one? No.
2: Well, Elijah Wood's just not like, I don't know. I feel like he doesn't take his career like as seriously as other actors do. Like he picks roles because he wants to have fun and you can tell. And he also
1: produces so many horror movies. It's very clear that he likes movies. Like he is not picking the path of the obvious career for someone who starred in one of the biggest franchises of all time he's picking the path of i want to use that power to just carve out my little corner of the film universe doing the stuff i like to do yeah
2: Yeah. and watching him watch us was so cool i've just never seen because like i see movies with press a lot and it's like they're not paying attention meanwhile elijah wood is just like leaned in just like paying direct (laughs) attention and i just i love that Love when people actually pay attention to the movie.
1: <laughs> you know what movie is uh, already more relevant than when it came out 18 months ago? hmm yeah, us. us. I, like, once a month think about, like, man, us is aging really well, huh? Us is doing great. <laughs> us is killing Good movie. It. Um, movie. I, yeah. I do think it's interesting, because, like, it, after those first three, the Southern Gothic sort of, like, uh, Maliki and... Uh, uh, inner lives of uh, children, uh, uh, David Gordon Green movies, I was like, man, this guy, he's the guy. This is going to be the dude who has the career. Like he's got a really clear style, but these three movies are kind of different genres. And then he becomes somewhat anonymous. And there's even the weird thing of like within his comedy run, pineapple express for all of its faults feels like it's made by a very specific director The Sitter does not. In the same way that, like, even though Stronger is very different from his early films, it feels like it's made by a very specific director and our brand is Crisis does not. And I remember at the time, like, my exposure to Secret Life of Bees for the first time as a book was hearing that David Gordon Green was going to make it and being such a big fan of his and being like, ooh, I'm excited for a new David Gordon Green movie. And you think back to, like, At that point in time, reading about this book, you had a very clear image in your head of what that movie would be. And at this point, if you hear David Gordon Green's going to make this, you have no idea what that could be.
0: I never saw this movie. I for a long time thought it was a spelling bee movie because there was that spate of bee spelling season. bee
1: movies and a key season
0: a Akeel and in the bee and I was like this must be another spelling bee movie and then I saw the poster and it was a honeycomb and I'm like well okay I assume it's actual bees then
2: I've seen the- movie before um so this was my second time watching it uh i don't this is like my this is the kind of movie that i kind of hate the most so i almost feel like i don't really come to it with the kind of like white eyes like i'll watch a movie i'll watch a movie that's just like about like i watched frankenhooker and and i'll just be like i'm watching frankenhooker my mind my mind is open I want to know what's going to happen. Where's like secret life of bees. My mind is like this. And then it just keeps on closing as I get angrier.
1: <laughs> I, I am with you entirely. And I am such a big Gina fan. I had put off watching this movie for so long for that very reason. I'm like, this is not my type of movie this is in like the collection of subgenres that i'm least inclined like, to like
2: right i mean and i love southern movies like the thing about southern movies movies about racism like i dig those and i actually think that like if david gordon green had made it and if the character it might have was, been a little
0: darker yeah, yeah.
2: and it, i just i probably would have preferred that version of the movie just because um the kind of stuff that they're working with the kind of themes I just feel like they could have been opened up a little bit more and I also think about the way that David Gordon Green like my one of my favorite David Gordon Green movies is Joe and so I, I think it. about like um the Paul Bettany character what would that look like in a David Gordon
1: Green movie and I feel like it'd be closer to Joe yes yeah um, yeah the the element that gina feels least connected to here is is the south of it all which was obviously david gordon green's strong suit at this point right
0: right she's of course a californian but like it's also she just has in all her movies like she has so much sympathy for her characters and that is a quality like in her filmmaking like I hate to call I didn't hate this movie at all. Like it's it was No, it, I don't it dislike its, you know, it.
1: But, but it is it's I it's fighting against my expectations of this type of movie.
0: But I hate to use this word because it's a pretty broad and uninteresting word, but like this movie is a little boring. Yeah. And that's not like it shouldn't be like, it's not the, the books I'm sure, you know, whatever, like a a gentle read in its own way. But like, this is not about boring things and it doesn't have boring events. Like, and yet there is just, there's something a little like the tone never just, you know, spikes in either direction.
2: And those are the Southern movies that I hate the most. Like I prefer, like as a person from the South, like, and there's a lot of complicated stuff. I hate it when it's depicted like a little bit too cartoony, but I also hate when it's a little too soft as well. And so it's just like when we're like dealing with all of these different things like racism and stuff, I hate it. Like if it can be played in history class, it probably means that the depiction of racism is not that great. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. Uh I agree. Uh, that that's what makes this fall into the category of like movies I'm not that into. The movies that are sort of like book closed on racism wasn't that bad.
0: <laughs> like, well, and it's like the lesson being learned is yeah, right. Is not an interesting lesson, I guess. I, although I also was sort of struggling to. I guess what she's learning is that her mom was a complicated person as well, right? Is that the personal lesson? It's heavy she's on learning? the mother
3: themes. I got. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I just.
0: I can see like Gina who wrote the movie, right? Like, so like I, and she's the only credited writer. So I'm assuming she's being brought on early enough that she is doing the whole thing. Right? digging
1: into a lot of the special features on the Blu-ray. It sounds to me like she was maybe brought on as a writer first. Uh Okay. When they were struggling to crack this story, David Gordon Green never figured it out. The book doesn't seem to have much of sort of like a driving plot and so they kept on taking different stabs at it. And no one could figure it out. They bring her on as a writer. She's the first one who cracks it. They let her direct it. But I think they viewed it as like, finally, someone has a handle on this. And the right. two elements for me that it feels like she's connecting to here are one, the, the thing that is like, you know, she's so focused on these small moments of human interaction and connection between people. I, I think the backdrop of this movie and the larger sort of stakes at play are less intriguing to her than this idea of this haven in which these five women are living together. Like that seems to be the thing she's interested in. And that's when this movie works the best is when it's just the dynamics at play, right. the
0: smaller sort of. Yeah, movements. It, it's like a portrayal of womanhood and community. Right. That's not. A lot of the tropes you would see in a movie about Southern racism. I
1: there, guess. There's the other angle that it feels like she's very connected to, which is I, I think I read this in in Bilga has been writing so much good stuff about her with Old Guard mm. coming out because he's a big Gina stan. And he wrote like a long form piece and did an interview with her and a review and everything. Um, the Quiet Storm, I think his main piece is called. But she was uh, the byproduct Because she she was adopted. She grew up with white parents in Southern California, but her biological mother was white and she was given up for adoption because I want to say it was in the South and she knew her mother knew that she would be reviled in her community for giving birth to a black child. Correct. Yes.
0: She said that it was not a a good experience. Her, you know, reconnecting with her. So her
1: mother gave up for adoption as sort of like a defense mechanism against violence in her own life. And it took her a very long time to find her mother. And when she found her, she had a hard time connecting to her and she doesn't really have a relationship with her. So that feels like the big in for her is this idea of like. This sure. You have this character
0: of, trying to figure out her own mother, who's this absent, uh, mysterious. The mother must figure, be the turnkey right? yeah. to me understanding that, myself. The
2: story for me like makes me think more about Beyond the Lights too. I was just like, totally. well, that, yeah. that's a
1: very good movie about mothers and daughters. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's that's the movie that she writes that feels like it's far more representative of her own relationship. Right. But I think that's the thing that she connected to is the idea of being a small child, being so driven by this idea of I need to know what my mother's like. But that those elements of it feel so kind of plotty, like they feel so obvious, like sort of movie. I need to fill this gap kind of stuff in a way that is. I don't know, it just feels like going through the motions a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wanted to know more about the mom, like, in general. I needed to know more about her to really understand. Like, I feel like there's just so much... Maybe because the movie is very, like, for kids, I feel like the whole, like, sex of it all is kind of missing. Sure. And I think part of it is that, like, I mean, how do you talk about... Because the way that they describe her mother's relationship with Paul Bettany is that... He was in the war. She was impressed by that. They were in love for like six months and then she didn't love him anymore, but she was pregnant. And so they got married. And then like, I guess, presumably he became abusive. But I feel like there's so much of that that like... I wanted to know more about it. I wanted to know why he was so bitter in the first place, aside from just, like, he was in a war, so that just makes him bitter. Like, there was just... I feel like because this is so seen in The Childs, like, I feel like the, the relationships, the adult relationships don't really get, like, any, like, nuance or room to breathe. And since that's, like, hinging so much of what's going on, because Dakota Fanning's not really, like, doing a whole lot. I don't know, it's very hard. Like I kept on thinking about um My Girl Two, which I um which I'm a very big My Girl Two defender. I think that My Girl Two is great. Which like it's just it's just about Veda trying to figure out about her mom. And it's like a more I don't know. It's a more intimate story because she's like talking to like people that her mom used to date and like looking at footage of like what her mom was like. And it's just like it's more of like a what kind of woman is she and what kind of woman am I going to be kind of thing. And I kind of wanted more of that
1: here. And that story is like one of the types of stories that hits me hardest emotionally. Like anytime a movie goes for like, I'm trying to learn about someone I never really got to know myself and learning through the other people they were close to. That's like a total like Griffin emotional breaking point for me. And this movie is only dealing with it in this kind of like central mystery way. Like it's so focused on, did she come back for me or did she come back for her stuff?
0: Well, it has that, but also it's not focusing on it for most of the movie. It's a weird sort of prologue epilogue time is when she's really thinking about that. And then when she arrives at the, The honey, you know, house. Yeah. She kind of just is like, well, I'm going to get into all this now. And like, it kind of just gets set aside until Betty comes
1: back. I I mean that the only aspect in which it's interested in that is solving that one mystery. But the movie becomes so much less interested in in the way where you're like, Gina just wants to make a movie about these different characters in a house together. Like, I feel like she talked about uh, how like she was trying to avoid the sense that you need to represent all the isms on one of the like behind the scenes documentary like she's like this the book is so focused on the isms of the time that I felt like I could drop a lot of those and really just focus on the character interactions and not worry about proving too many larger points but that also means that when the movie starts to get to those scenes it feels a little less engaged because it's also like that's kind of it's interesting. I mean, Jordan, you're talking about this movie's weird relationship to sex. I feel like she makes very, like, mature representations of sexuality in film. Like, I feel like Old Guard, Love and Basketball, and Beyond the Lights are films that are really interested in, like, a level of emotional intimacy and what connects people to each other you know and how those dynamics change at different levels of comfort in a relationship and movies that all feel very sexy without being graphic because they're so keyed into uh the psychological aspects of sexuality in a way uh, or at least in sort of attraction and this movie feels very kind of hands off with all of that and there's like one of the featurettes on the DVD, they're interviewing the whole cast about, like, the differences between the the characters as written and uh, how they were adapted and how they chose to play them. And there are a lot of interesting choices here where, like, the Jennifer Hudson character, which I think Jennifer Hudson might be the best performance in this movie.
0: yeah. I think so, too.
1: And she also kind of gets sidelined for the whole
0: middle section. She's also really just there in the front. Yeah.
3: She gets like one line at the end. It's like, well, I'm going to vote now. And you're like, remember that (laughs) plot line? I'm
0: like, oh, yeah, that
1: was what set this all off. Right. They bring her back into the fold in like the last 20 minutes. But the first like chunk of it is so much about her. And I think she's really fucking good. And the thing that's interesting is uh, in the book, she was supposed to be a much older woman. And Gina was the one who said, it feels like that's a very stereotypical dynamic. I would rather that she be closer in age to Dakota Fanning. I think that's more interesting if they're closer to being contemporaries. And it's, it's someone who is somewhat at the beginning of her life and has the potential to have Uh, the civil rights movement actually affect her at an early stage for the rest Mm -hmm. of her life rather than being a woman who's in her 60s and sort of was never given these opportunities, that she's sort of at the beginning of this opportunity. Um, And I think that, like, that works, and that opening chunk, even though it's going through a lot of these, like, plotty sort of motions, the stuff that works is the dynamic between the two of them. And the Queen Latifah character is much older in the book. Like, she made a lot of those... Uh, shifts, which I think work. But then they interview Hillary Burton, who at this point was like total request live correspondent who then becomes a One Tree Hill star. So she's very much in this sort of like teen pop world. And this is like one of her first big serious roles. And she said, my real goal with this was to make sure that my character was not just The lady in the pictures, because in like movies like this and stories like this, there's the character who people just look at an old photograph of and they never feel like a fully formed human being. And I wanted her to feel like real and three dimensional. And it's a bummer because it just feels like the movie is not giving her any room to be anything other than the woman in the picture.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, her vibe is actually really interesting, and I think yeah. that that's... Yeah, and I was just... She doesn't, like... I don't know, there's a certain way that, like, southern white women are kind of, like... I don't know, there's a certain, like, posture that Hollywood gives them, where they're just, like, all these, like, very, like, dignified, kind of, like, southern belle kind of posture, and she just seemed chill and you know she seemed like open she had like a very like open expressions in her face like i could see like she seemed like a human person (laughs) i I don't know sometimes i think that like and maybe it's just because she doesn't get to say a lot and so it doesn't really get bogged down by her trying to do an accent or anything like that (laughs) but yeah i wanted her in more scenes because i i thought that she was really interesting
0: this movie may might be better if it was more a parallel story about Lily and Rosaline, hmm. both making this journey, both arriving at this community a Mamma
3: mia too, if you will,
0: yes, right, yeah. and both both <laughs> being changed by it, you know, both right. like you know emerging as different people um and I mean, I like Dakota Fanning, and it was interesting, as like we were saying, watching this movie. I was just recollecting like, Oh God, remember when she was this just like super poised child actor. I feel like we talked about it on our war of the worlds episode, right? Griffin. We must've.
1: Yes. But I do want to do a little bit of a career sidebar here. Go on. I'm Um, just
0: pulling up. the. I don't think she's very good in this movie. Um, And I, I, I don't mean that in a mean way, but like when we're getting to the big stuff at the end and when she's having the big breakthroughs and she's crying and she's having these long conversations with queen Latifah's character, I was kind of like, mm, yeah. I like, I like she was, she, she was the center of the movie and I was really always struggling to lock into her. Um, and maybe it would be, yeah, maybe it benefits if you, if you give Jennifer Hudson's character more to do.
1: I, I think she's a very skilled actress, but there are scenes yeah. that I think the one I'm thinking of is the one where she gives the, like, I'm an unlovable monster speech to Latifah. And then she like falls to her knees and it just yeah. feels like such a it stock, felt, big, yeah. It felt dramatic, acty. right? It feels very yeah. acty. I mean, that was you know part of her thing, like. What's interesting her
0: fucking mom like this is the like darkest thing in her that she will ever have to like, you know, say to anyone. And basically
1: trauma is so weird. And there are so many interesting ways of expressing trauma as an actor and as a filmmaker. And then you get to that scene and it's like it is the most sort of off the shelf this is a person having an emotional breakdown in a movie. You know, it's it's not representative of, I think, how anyone actually processes trauma. It's only how people play trauma in an acting class.
3: I think the character of May, if anything, like represented trauma maybe a lot more accurately. I watched some interview where Gina talked about how casting for that role was, she wanted to be like really particular about it because she said in her words, it could tank the movie if it, you know yes I mean, with like it's two it's
0: cartoon-ish. it's the the role that if you do too much with that you're just like okay you know like it, it would throw everything off and she's very good I mean she Sophiegonado is a great actress
1: I, I want to go performance by performance actor by actor because I think that's the most interesting thing to talk about with this movie. yeah and yeah I sure. also wanted right.
2: to say real quick because uh, I was also in my head because I was when this movie came out I was like just at the right age. let let's see when it was it was oh, two thousand. It was 2008 so I was I was in high school so I was just like a little too old for it, but oh. like still like I was still aware enough of like children's films and stuff to have like an opinion. And I remember thinking this should have been Anna Sophia Robb. Um mm, interesting. <laughs> she
0: was always the sort of like, you know, the the tastemakers, Dakota fanning. Yeah. Because
2: Anna Sophia Robb also did a bunch of like did did more like kind of like Southern roles than when Dixie. Di- Yeah. And Sophia Robb, I feel like, has a better handle on that entire environment than which is weird because Dakota Fanning is from Georgia, but she just doesn't seem like a person from Georgia. Neither does Al, honestly. (laughs) It's really weird.
1: Okay. I I wanna I let's dig into this Dakota Fanning sidebar, okay? okay? Because I always just assumed in my mind, especially because Dakota and Al are both good actresses and uh, were, were so skilled at such a young age, I was like, A, they feel very coastal, and B, they feel very like Haley Joel Osmond, They are the children of actors or acting coaches. Like, when you hear about Haley Joel Osmond, you're like, oh, his parents were actors, but they never really made it, and then they became, like, acting teachers, and then he was born, and you're like, oh, so he was, like, raised in a household where they, like, taught him how to act and the work ethic of being an actor. And he was like a
3: consummate professional at like age eight.
1: Right. All of that stuff. I'm like, that really comes out of, oh, my parents were failed actors, but they instilled in me this sort of like the workflow of being an actor and the like day to day of the job. Um, So I always just in my mind was like, one of the fanning parents must be an actor, right? You look at their Wikipedia and not only as you said, they come from georgia which is surprising but also their entire family is sports yeah, okay a lot of athletes yeah her mother played tennis professionally her father minor league baseball player maternal grandfather former american football player her aunt former espn reporter
0: jill harrington
1: right they yeah, just come it- from this pure sports family There's like no sort of like just Southern sports. And then these two like very like formal, like, hello, I'm a serious child actor. Kids come out at age three,
0: you know, I will say, you know, she went to school in California. My guess is they eventually moved to California because she became a actress at such a young age, like that she was doing all this stuff. Yeah.
1: But it feels like very much the cart followed the horse. It was like, she comes out and is like, hello, I'm a tiny thespian. And they're like, I guess we have to move to Hollywood. When she was in, I am Sam.
0: I just, she didn't get the Oscar nomination. No, um, she got the sad, She got a SAG nomination. And I do remember it was a real conversation. It was like, are we about to nominate a six-year-old? Like, is this going to happen? Like, because the Oscars nominate kids, obviously, but six is like very young. I mean,
2: how old was Tatum O'Neill? Tatum Tatum O'Neill, I think think it was 11. 10 or 11.
1: Uh. Quavanzane is still the youngest. And that feels like they finally broke that barrier. Quavanzane, there was also the thing, though, where that movie was shot. Right. 2 years before it played at sundance which was then a year before the Oscars. So by the time she shows up at the ceremonies she's 3 years older than she was in the movie?
0: Uh yeah, she was yeah. 9 when she was nominated or whatever. Yeah, she but, was 6 right, she when was probably they filmed like six it. 6 or 7. Yeah. Well, you know, it wasn't just that she had like cute little chubby cheeks no. and she was a sweetie. No. Like she was a, a poised actor. Like she at a was. young age.
2: town girls is like. Uptown girls. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. Man on fire. She's like great in like, you know, mm-hmm. like, like when she was a little kid, she was, she was very impressive. I never saw the cat in the hat. Griffin. I'm assuming you have seen that. She's, she's yes. good in the cat in the hat. But The
1: cat in the hat itself is a nightmare movie. Um, she, uh, right. She's doing the Uptown Girls thing. I mean, this is what what's, is so fascinating to me about Dakota Fanning. Here's a very, very young child who became a major movie star, right? And the other examples of this are like Macaulay Culkin and sure. uh, uh, Shirley Temple, you know? And to a lesser degree, because they were a little older, like Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. And the dynamic there is like they just represent a kid so well. And they're not exclusively. Beloved by kids, but they definitely a lot of their movie stardom is that kids see themselves on screen. And then Dakota is this weird anomaly where it's like she became a major movie star, but it was almost based on she seems like a tiny adult. Nothing about her seems childlike. And she was either giving like wise beyond her years performances,
0: which is like really Sam, right. In really intense movies.
1: It's like, I am Sam war of the world, hide and seek, like whether they were prestigy man on fire, whether they were prestigey or like mainstream, the, the premise was kind of this actress is having to play very harrowing things in very adult films. And she seems to be doing it with a lot of professionalism and poise. And then the closest she comes to movie star performances, the closest she comes to having like a movie star persona is the uptown girls cat in the hat. I'm a little child who acts like a 70 or eight year old woman. I'm high status. Dreamer. Dreamer is like the one outlier where it's like, here's a family movie where Dakota is playing just a kid. And
0: it's the one that exists the least. Sure. Never. Saw her it. Career. I, have
2: never I have never seen
1: dreamer.
0: It's uh, like she her- was uh, Charlotte's web, right? Is she, is she the kid? Oh, she in that? is. She yeah. is. And
1: she's actually good in Charlotte's web, but it is funny that like so little of her career was tied to her being a, a, a sort of, um, avatar for children. You know, it's like she's got her movies yeah. in which she plays a real kid, but those are adult films. And then she has her movies where the entire joke is she doesn't behave like a child. And those are the movies that kids could actually see.
2: Yeah. And then she, when she hit, like, young adult age, like, because, like, this is 2008. and 2007, yeah. she did a movie called Hound Dog, which I oh, have boy. seen.
0: Yeah. Have you seen it? <laughs> no, I have not Ugh. seen Hound Dog. I only remember Hound Dog as the movie everyone made such a fuss over when it was like announced or what, you yeah. know, like it was like, well, well wait a second. She's going to be in this, you know, grown up movie where she's abused and like, well, I don't know if that should be allowed. Like, I just remember there being a lot of discourse about Hound Dog at the time. It was how like, is this Hound is dog?
1: Dakota Fanning's uh, pretty baby. It was like the movie where everyone was like, is this humane? Why is she doing this?
2: H- Hound Dog is, how, a very depressing movie but like sure. it's depressing in a way where it's like it's the kind of role that you would ex- it's I don't know how to say this in a delicate way Um, you usually don't see white kids deal with that in movies it's hmm. usually like everyone but white kids <laughs> It's yeah it's a very like I don't know the kind of melancholy of Hound Dog it reminds me a lot of like stuff like precious stuff on the, long sure. the lines of that and it's just it's weird to see her there because she's just so like well moisturized and like pristine and <laughs> I just don't believe that she's like sure. really going through it. Yeah, that's what Hound, she
0: looks like Hound a little Dog. doll.
2: <laughs> she's just, yeah, she's just little, she's like porcelain. So yeah, Hound Dog is like she did like two southern movies and it's this movie and Hound Dog and Hound Dog was like the dark one and this was like the nice one and now she right. doesn't do so movies anymore and i'm actually really happy about it because it's weird she seems weird like she
1: doesn't seem like she belongs there <laughs> it's well, weird right it's like 2001 i am
0: sam that's pretty much her debut she played kids No, she and she'd been in er and, and al McBeal she's done and stuff TV. like she <laughs> right. yeah she done kid kid right. roles right
1: then the next year is like trapped sweet home alabama hansel and Gretel. i think in this hansel and Gretel movie she's like not uh uh Gretel. She she plays something else. Sweet Home Alabama. She's in very briefly. She is being read a story. In right. Handful she's the Gretel. Fred Savage role in that. Yes, Sweet Home Alabama. It. She's playing young Reese Witherspoon. Trapped. She's like that's that weird abduction movie with Charlize yeah, Theron. Yeah. She's a Ken kid in Bacon. peril. Right. Yeah. Then 2003 is like Uptown Girls, Cat in the Hat. That's like comedies in which the premise is she acts like a grown lady, right? And then you go Man on Fire, Hide and Seek, Nine Lives, War of the Worlds. Like this is Dakota Fanning is like acting alongside major movie stars playing like Extreme Circumstances. And, and Steven Spielberg is doing interviews and going like, she's as good as any actor I've ever worked with. She's amazingly skilled at assessing a situation and figuring out what a scene needs. And it becomes like the, the Dakota Fanning show on SNL. Like the joke is Dakota Fanning is this weird adult in a child's body who like is like very sort of like erudite and pretentious. And then it's like Charlotte's Web is her last kind of children's film. Then it's Hound Dog. Secret Life of Bees, Coraline, which she had obviously recorded much earlier. She's great. Which honks. Great in
0: Coraline. Yeah. Coraline honks. Yeah. She honks in Coraline. She's in Push, which of course right. is the reason that Precious is called Precious. Because it's a so movie I Push. I
2: remember that. That important yes.
0: franchise.
1: But then it's right. Now it's this pivot point. It's like Push, Twilight Saga, Runaways.
0: Twilight, Twilight she's Saga. She's good in the runaways. Twilight Saga. Yes, she's good in all these things. She's also uh, going to college at this she's point. She's going she, to college. She went to NYU. I believe she actually graduated. Like, yes. She seems to have made that uh, like a priority more right. than so, some young actors would.
1: From 2009 to 2013, all she really does is the Twilight movies and some things that never really saw a wide release. And then it's like Night Moves, Effie Gray. Like well, no, now, but here's the
0: thing. Here's the, thing. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Starting with, I would say. Tell me Night the things.
1: Tell me the thing. And and before she, you get now, into this, is this with Alec Baldwin or without Alec Baldwin?
0: Here's the thing with Alec Baldwin. Okay, um, thank you. Uh I've, a lot of the movies that are in her filmography later I've never even heard of, but like Night Moves, American Pastoral, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, she has become America's favorite, like spooky like blonde lady like she plays like radicals and creeps and frightening people like why this is now her thing like it's very night moves she's an eco-terrorist and she doesn't share any scenes with griffin newman but you know you were both in it a shame an absolute shame uh uh, american pastoral she is you know she's sunny lavav right she's the the Mm -hmm. uh, mary not sunny so you know the girl who basically joins the weather underground and blows something up. And then once upon a time of where she's squeaky from, and she's yeah. kind of good. She's kind of scary. I like, she's yeah. good. She's That's got these a good like, scene. Big,
3: scary kind of like empty eyes. Like yeah. there's a yeah. shot where she's watching Alicia Keys make out. And I, w- I just remember thinking like if the music were any different, this would be like from a horror movie because she's just like sort of yeah. like in the bushes nearby.
0: <laughs> it's just funny that that is now her thing. That's, yes. It's just a funny little groove that she found for herself.
1: And I also like watching a movie like, like this, like Secret Life of Bees, I look at this performance and my takeaway is... Wow, Dakota Fanning sure was very professional at that age. Like, I keep on viewing sure you she's seen nice. as, like, a skill piece where I'm like, that's impressive that, like, someone this young did this. I don't know how engaging I find this performance, but it's clear that she's a very skilled actress on a technical level. And then those three yeah. later movies you're talking about all become, like, real vibe performances. Like, the exact kind of thing she wasn't particularly good at as a child where it's, like, she's just being very natural and, and sending out, like, a real energy.
2: She seems to be like more chill than she used to be, which I guess yeah. is usually the case. Like I, I always liked Dakota Fanning characters because they reminded me of like me as a kid. I was like that.
0: You were like a serious <laughs> little child.
1: I was a very serious <laughs> kid. I was You were uh, an uptown girl.
0: You had yeah.
1: <laughs> You had no patience for the cat in the hat chicanery. No, <laughs>
2: no yeah I was so I was that kind of kid so I really got her and then like you know she got older and she chilled out I got older and I started smoking weed and mm. I chilled out <laughs> maybe know. Dakota did it too
0: <laughs> I, I forgot to mention she's in that thing the alienist which right. I don't watch but I know I know some people enjoy the alienist now in season I've, I've 2 heard,
2: I've heard that people like that show
3: what I, if there I... was an
0: alienist
3: mm. what's that wait is that on Hulu
0: no, it's on TNT. Uh, it's a TNT show about, like, early criminal profiling, like, vintage 19th century criminal profiling.
1: But The Alienist is also one of those things that, like, was a Kerry uh, Fukunawa project that he then abandoned and still happened anyway. Like, it's in that exact time zone where it's like, okay, you know what? I'm not doing it anymore, but now I'm gonna do this TV show. Actually, I'm not gonna do this TV show anymore. I'm gonna do this instead. Like, he kept oh, on... Oh, s- was this
2: do
1: it? Yes. Yeah, he, he wrote he is in the screenplay credit on. He it. still gets the screenplay credit, and apparently a lot of the designs are still things that Kerry Fukunawa approved. Like uh, by all accounts, the Pennywise design in the movie is what he developed.
2: Ah, uh, I really like <laughs> I really like the first it. The I first do. It is but, good.
1: Uh, Jordan, yeah. Here's what's interesting. He <laughs> apparently took it right up to the finish line. They became afraid that what he was doing was too avant-garde and not commercial enough. So he walked. They hire uh, Muschietti. Andy Muschietti, yeah. He barely touches Fukunawa's script for the first movie, tries to put in more conventional scares. The movie's a huge hit. Then he apparently dramatically rewrites the second script, like throws it out. I think a lot of what's good in the first movie is what Carrie Fukunawa developed.
0: The second movie sucks so hard and it's that's so bad the
1: movie that has
0: none of his fingerprints on it anymore yeah I know he's not credited as a screenwriter the
2: second know. movie is one of the most I I actually walked out of the theater and not because like I was offended by the movie although like that was it because like you'd been
0: sitting in that theater for eight hours and the movie wasn't I done
2: was, <laughs> I got half movie Realized how much was left. Realized how irritated I was that I was there. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm in Times Square. This is before <laughs> they got rid of the Times Square Sephora. Ugh. And like, I'm gonna go to Sephora <laughs> instead of finishing this movie. Make well, a better I'm use sorry. of a half hour of your time.
0: <laughs> you missed 18 more flashbacks. So I'm sorry <laughs> that you missed that.
2: And then just a couple days ago, I tried. I watched it at home, and like. It's just one of the most upsetting. Like I thought on a smaller screen, I'd be less angry about it. Cause I watch, I watch all kinds of dumb shit. Like Kyle, Kyle gets so annoyed with me with the shit that I'll watch. Like he'll come in and he's like, what are you watching? we will be like dead heat. And he'll just like turn around and walk out. (laughs) But, (laughs) But I can't, I could not sit through it part two, like that's—I don't know why—I just didn't have the patience. Can for I give you
1: my take any of that on why okay, you yeah. you couldn't put up with it? Because yeah. it's the exact opposite of what you're talking about. It's a movie that should be owning sort of the trashiness of where it can go and instead it has this lofty self-importance of it's the final chapter in the It saga and they're acting like it's It endgame. Like they're know, acting, they're acting like, like, it's like There's
0: been 40 It movies. The you're culmination
1: right, right. of of 10 years and 20 <laughs> movies and you're like Dude, it's one two hour movie that you're banking off of. Just wrap up the fucking story. You don't need to make this like it's a the legacy. Part. It's acting like it's a legacy sequel. Like, can you believe we got all the kids back together again? <laughs> you remember that trailer trailers. hit?
0: You know, the, the cool one? trailer, the Chastain visiting the old lady. The teaser is scene. so good oh, for she and like, and you were like, by oh my hall. God. Yeah, this is great. Oh, this is so cool. And then, yeah, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Shitty movie. Um, all right. Moving on from Dakota Fanning. Is there another filmography you want to discuss, Griffin, uh, next?
1: I mean, let's say like, okay, Alicia Keys. This is really her first movie. And I think people expected that she was going to have a film career And she kind of just didn't. And I think she's good in this. And she was also in Smoking Aces, which she's cool in. Uh, And she's in The Nanny Diaries. Oh, you're right. This is kind of the last one. Yeah, It's it's Smoking Aces and Nanny Diaries in 2007. Nanny Diaries, she plays like the best friend role. Smoking Aces, she plays a cool assassin. For a long time, uh, when the Why the Last Man movie was supposed to be made, with DJ Caruso and Shia LaBeouf, uh, she was supposed Shia to play, LaBeouf? I'm forgetting oh, her yeah. name. The agent? of
3: 100? Yeah. No, it's not 100. It's
1: like... 355. She yeah. was announced agent as 355. playing 355. And then she does this movie, which felt like her big sort of like, oh, now she's making a prestige movie. And then mm-hmm. she doesn't really act that much ever again.
0: The only performance she's given since is playing Alicia Keys in and the Holograms and she was uh, on empire and stuff uh she did pop up on empire i mean she's done some tv maybe but no no she she pivoted to like uh like you know reality tv like she did uh the x factor she did um i feel like she did another right doesn't she does another the of the the voice yeah you know like she's yeah. she's she's all in on that now i feel like that eats up so much of your time also she's those, also like hosted the grammy shows I think. yeah she's
1: produced a lot both like on film and tv and on broadway like she produces a lot of other people's works um but i think she's good in this like i i remember being excited at the time that it felt like she was gonna become a movie star that she was gonna have a sort of janelle Monet like split career and keep doing both um Cause she's a good actress and she's very innately engaging.
2: She is, yeah. No, she's she's really good. It's weird. I hadn't I never think about Alicia Keys anymore. That's such an interesting thing. Like I watched her in this movie and I was like, Oh yeah, fuck. She was in movies for like a second. Yeah. And like now I mostly just know her as that. That weirdo on Instagram, like she's sure. just she's like, <laughs> she's I don't just wear like makeup. Weird... I'm just amazingly she's, beautiful all the time. She's very in into not wearing it. makeup.
0: I know this, right? Like that's her thing now.
2: The most notable thing that she has done, in my opinion, since this movie, is uh, break up Swiss Beats' marriage. Like mm. Mm. that was a that was a big one. She was in the headlines a lot for that. Like
0: <laughs> she's she's very cool in this movie which makes sense because that's her vibe she's good at that she's like i would not say it's a one-note performance but it's sort of like uh you know she's got she's got a lot of poise and presence and she's like a cool and magnetic figure yeah yeah i I
2: her. Um yeah. I thought, I thought that the the Nate Parker, the Nate Parker of it all. Man, every single time oh. I see him, I was like, "Fuck, you're still in movies, I man." Know.
0: Well, this is this is, uh, I guess, the beginning. Like, this is where she his relationship uh, with
2: Gina,
3: right? Yeah. Right, where she
0: finds yeah. him, in, and this is before Red Tails. Like, I don't. What had he been in before this? The Great Debaters. I guess that's that's right. It. That he was sort yeah. of his discovery movie.
2: I'm trying to. I'm trying. I yeah. don't even remember the first place that I saw Nate Parker because for a while I did. I did like him. I mean, I didn't have any reason not to like
1: him before. I know. Yeah. I, um, I, it, it's the one thing I dread about rewatching Beyond the Lights. Yeah. Um, it's, oh yeah. It's he, did, of, he did.
2: He did. He did Pride, which is that yeah, swimming movie the that I've seen. Right. The Great Debaters. Yeah, I've I've never seen the Great Debaters either.
0: I think he's he's the main kid yes. in the Great Debaters.
1: He, he's the main debater in the film. You have like Denzel as the captain, the teacher. You have Forrest Whitaker as the disapproving parent. And then Nate Parker is sort of giving the like anointment role. Like it very much feels like that movie is Denzel saying, like, I'm saying that this is a guy. And I'm giving him a spotlight and I Denzel am trying to put the focus on this dude. And then people start putting him in movies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, the stuff with him and her, I was so like, I just felt like there was a piece missing. Like I get it. She doesn't want to marry him or whatever, but like, why doesn't she want to marry him? It's never really like, was it like supposed to be
0: cut out of the movie or something? I like, there's definitely something not there.
2: Because, like, it, I guess it's like she wanted her independence or yeah. something. Like, I'm not really sure. I also, like, in my head, canon. I was like, oh, maybe she's gay. And then she says that <laughs> and then she accepts it anyway. I don't know. She had a lot of gay vibes from her. I kind of wanted her Absolutely. to be
1: gay. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and in, in Smoking Aces, she's gay. She plays, like, a very cool gay assassin who I believe is maybe in a relationship with Taraji P. Henson. They're, they're like, gay couple assassins. Um, but, uh, ah! it's a good performance. Um, but. All the special features I watched, they talked about how much difficulty they had adapting this character. And they keep on talking about likability in this sort of like standard Hollywood kind of way. But I think it's because they were like, we're worried that the character feels like kind of a buzzkill. She's the only one who doesn't want Dakota Fanning moving in. And she's the one who's kind of uptight. And she keeps on rejecting this guy's marriage proposals. And so it seems like their solution... To making her likable is sort of making her comedically heightened and treating all the uh, proposals like they're Lucy pulling the football away from Charlie Brown. But it also makes it feel like it's just like a sketch comedy routine until she finally inexplicably goes like, "Nah, I'm
0: gonna marry you."
2: No. Bitch, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. That over, seems kind of weird.
0: But then, the <laughs> other thing again, you're like, wait, whoa, 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 wait, what, what is going on with these two? And then he's out of the movie for a while, and then, yeah, like by the time he comes back, i have almost forgotten the plot. Like, I don't know. Like, and I she- feel like
2: if a guy like. She was just gay because it's like, oh, he calls her a selfish bitch. And it's like, okay, well, obviously he's not coming back. And she and obviously she can't say, hey, I'm gay. Like, that's just me. That's what I would have done. It would have fixed everything, in my opinion.
1: That's how I would have read the movie. Yeah. Yes. And it would have made it a little more interesting.
2: And it would explain why she's so, I mean, like... (laughs)
0: she's right she's sort of closed up she's right she's doesn't want to talk about her feelings in the same but also like she's sort of like this opposite you know june and may are like sort of uh, right like you know may is so emotive and she's Mm so you know like all her emotions are right on the surface so june's kind of like very sublimated For a movie about a bunch of people hanging out in a house and learning about each other, you don't learn a lot about a lot of the characters in the movie. No,
3: she has like an (laughs) NAACP shirt and I think she says something about a meeting, but then it's just like never addressed again. I I
1: think she wears that shirt at four different points in the movie, like four different timeline points in the movie. They keep on wanting to sort of just like code in without having to devote screen time to it. The idea that she's like, a leader and an organizer and all this sort of stuff. But you only get it through seeing her t-shirt while she walks out and goes like, excuse me, I'm trying to practice my music. Um, boy, let's talk
0: about Latifah. Let's go on and talk about Queen Latifah. Okay. She is still, you know, this is a her few movie years from her run. Oscar nomination. Yes. And right. This is sort of like in the run with like taxi beauty shop last holiday, right? Like those movies where she is above the title and she's the, She's the lead. She's the top-billed performer. Right. Yeah. She's, she's uh, above um, Dakota Fanning or anyone else. She's first-billed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chicago
1: yeah. comes out in 2002. She gets an Oscar nomination. Everyone's like, fuck, Queen Latifah, who at this point has already proven herself as an actress. She's great in Set It Off. She did multiple seasons
0: of uh, Living Single, right? Yeah. 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 Come on. She's a legend. Living Single. And, yes. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's actually amazing in Set It Off, obviously. Like, that. Yeah. she's... Yeah, one of my
1: favorite movie deaths is her death in that movie. She she rules in that. And she's been. Yes. I mean, you look at her filmography and she's like, it's very predictable that it's like she's been acting regularly throughout the 90s, giving good performances. And you're like, okay, she's in Jungle Fever. House Party 2 juice she's in set it off she's in hoodlum she's in living out loud right then she starts Mm -hmm. to like transition into white hollywood then you get like sphere the bone collector bringing out the dead then she gets the chicago oscar nomination and people were like who knew queen latifah could act and it's like motherfucker she's been acting for she's 12 been, years she's
2: been acting for a really long what time what are you talking oh, speaking, about oh yeah I, she's forgot, great I, in was, sphere. I was actually just on the Bechtel cast talking about set it off so people should listen to that episode i talk a lot about queen latifah and that one.
0: i listened to that episode great um, podcast great episode she gets uh isn't she the one who gets eaten by the jellyfish or the yeah it's the jellyfish in sphere yeah, yeah. sphere is a great movie we should do sphere let's do sphere cast. i've never podcast. seen
2: I've never seen this sphere. Okay. It's Mary Levinson,
0: right? Listen, what if there was a sphere? What if it was under the water? What's up with the sphere? You gotta find out. Only four people can find out Dustin Hoffman, Sharon stone, Samuel Jackson, queen Latifah. They're going to go look at the sphere. All kinds of things are going to happen. There's going to be jellyfish. No, one's going to have a good time. The movie will be critically reviled in a box office bomb. It's incredibly long and it's great. I love it. Sounds
3: like the abyss.
0: It's very, it's, it's very abyss
1: from the director of rain. Man comes a sci-fi movie that asks what would Dustin Hoffman and Sharon stone do in space together?
0: (laughs) Except they're underwater. But,
1: but Queen Latifah, right? Yeah. Fantastic actress. Right. Overnight white Hollywood discovery. Who knew? Now she has this run as like a leading movie star where it's uh, uh, Bring You Down the House comes out right after her Oscar nomination and is the biggest fucking hit in the world. It's so (laughs) humongous. We we
0: can't. I mean, we've talked about it before, but please go ahead, Jordan.
2: I. Bringing Down the
0: House. Let's let's bring down the house for a second. One of the worst movies ever made. It's not a good movie.
2: It's a movie that has puzzled me for years. Like, I have seen Bringing Down the House so many times, and every single time, I'm just like, what... What
0: <laughs> you see, he's what? very uptight. Yes, you I don't know? think you're getting it. Lonely. Lonely. Yes. And she she was in prison and she learned all kinds of things. I believe right. she has she has broken out of prison in that movie, right? It's not like she's been <laughs> released. Like I think she's like escaped. No, I think like, she's, she's been trying released. to prove her <laughs> innocence.
1: Oh, she is. Right. You're right. And and Jordane, I don't want to <laughs> mansplain bring down the house for you, but the thing you need to understand, because it's subtle. And a lot of Mm -hmm. people don't get it when they watch the movie is that Eugene Levy is in bringing down the house, and Queen Latifah has him straight tripping boo.
2: Okay. But that's (laughs) subtext that's subtext so Eugene Levy in this in that movie I think about him constantly like when I I don't know why like when I just when I just think about like sometimes when I think I say the word white people I'm thinking about Eugene Levy in Bringing Down the House with those cornrows
0: yeah that's what he was going for I guess he was like I will be white people
2: He he was 100% white. I actually really appreciate how much he committed to being like, man, aren't white people stupid? And
0: it's just like, yeah, wow. Right. You know, the man has a satirical eye. Yeah, sure.
2: But I also kind of wanted to, <sighs> that movie. I kind of want to do it on Bad Romance just because of how weirdly, how it's set up to be like a, a rom-com and then it's not. Yes. Because, because like the world just could not imagine steve martin and queen latifah but it's like a it's like a rom-com without the sex like she like comes in and changes his life but like then they don't fuck and And they they meet
1: from being like on an online dating website like the premise that's set up is he thinks they're gonna date
0: but she ends, he, she ends up with Eugene Levy. He gets back together with Gene Smart, I believe, right. who is like Queen his Latifah estranged fixes wife his or marriage. whatever. Right, yes. Yeah, um, Queen Latifah
2: fixes his white marriage because, you know, God forbid. She well, has <laughs> everyone she's straight bring in, down the house.
1: I don't know. <laughs> but then here's the big, like, post-Oscar, post-bring-you-down-the-house, Queen Latifah has the keys to Hollywood run. Then you get uh, Taxi. She has a small part in the cookout, which she produces. Then she has the cameo in Barbershop two, which is only to establish backdoor beauty shop spinoff. Like they announce in variety, Queen Latifah will be appearing in Barbershop two solely to launch a spinoff film. So then it's beauty shop, uh, stranger than fiction where she's supporting, but that's like the hottest screenplay in Hollywood. She's the new main character in Ice Age. No, last you're skipping holiday. On,
0: okay, last holiday. She's great in Last Holiday. I haven't seen that movie in years. That's sort of a, an odd movie, though, because it's like it's about her dying. dying. Like Hollywood would never make a movie like that anymore. That's sort of like no. weird and melancholy and like presented as a romantic comedy drama. Is it her? And LL Wait, Cool J. who's her love interest? LL Cool J, right? Right, and you're remaking an
1: Alec Guinness comedy, right?
0: Is it? Oh, is ah. it? Wait, really?
1: Yes, I think it is. You
0: no, know, you're right. It is. Yes, it's a uh, yes. an but, old but British like film. an
1: obscure British comedy. Yeah. Um. Then hairspray, which she's very good in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she's great in hairspray.
1: And then this is when she starts to slow down again. It's like she does Mad Money, which doesn't exist. <laughs> Mad Money didn't really
0: work out for. Anyone I love involved. Mad
2: Money. Really, though. really, I really do. I You're love a Mad, Mad Money, Money fan. I watched it for the first time this year, and I was just like, "Oh my god, why have I never watched this before?" I like Mad Money in the sense that, like, they are very aware of like the class differences and the race differences in it. I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was really smart. I thought it could be way worse. Than
0: it was They're stealing money That is gonna be like Destroyed Right like It's like they're gonna They're gonna steal money That is about to expire Essentially Right Diane yes. Keaton Katie Holmes Queen Latifah right. I forgot Great. It's
1: it's written and directed By Callie Curry Who did Thelma and Louise Yeah
2: Did the screenplay I, I, For
0: I, Thelma and Louise yeah. yeah
2: Queen Latifah Tifa's great in Mad Money. Like, she's way better than everyone else in that movie because she's taking it
1: seriously. I mean, she was a great, like, comedy movie star. She had this run, and she would do, like, supporting roles in between. And I think she's a very good dramatic actress as well. But she had this surprisingly fertile run as, like, a lead in comedy lady. And then yeah, now... She-
0: you got no, what just you right. Well, just the right. tail end of this sort of thing you're talking about. Right. I Right. Because now like just she starts right. to
1: transition more into like ensemble. So after Mad Money, what happens in Vegas is a very small role. Secret Life of Bees. She's first build. You get a sense that she was the person they needed to get the financing for the movie. Like she's really yeah. sort of extending herself playing a role that was written for an older actress because her movie stardom was so big at the time. And then it's like Valentine's Day ensemble just sure. writes her sort of last lead dilemma is supporting. And then it's like two years until Joyful Noise, which is her and uh, Dolly Parton. And then she doesn't really do a big movie role again until Girls Trip five years I later. I believe
0: Joyful Noise is that not, is that like a, a you know, choir versus choir yes. movie? Yeah. It's like a bring it on with choirs? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. No, that's what it is. But she does a five, there's like a five year gap pretty much there where it's like, you know, small role in 22 Jump Street, tiny role in Miracles from Heaven, another Ice Age movie in Girls Trip. And that's all that happens between Joyful Noise and Girls Trip.
0: You're forgetting, you're forgetting Bessie. Uh, where she played Bessie Smith, which was a TV movie, but it was, yes. you know, uh, written, directed by Dee Reese. I love Bessie. Pretty good movie. Yeah. Uh, she was not made for an Emmy, I guess. But, you know, like, she, but she's good in that. And that that seemed like sort of passion project D for her. And she does and then Steel then she, Magnolias for TV and she does Star. She
1: did that show she's Star. She's Steel right.
2: Magnolias, too.
1: <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've never but seen Star. She kind of just pivots to TV and then now she was supposed to Before the pandemic, I think it's still happening, but obviously they never uh, were able to uh, really start production and they can't yet. Um, She's supposed to do a reboot of The Equalizer for CBS. That's
0: right. With her playing The Equalizer. Yeah. uh,
1: Which I so badly wanted to play the computer nerd on. I think you remember, David. I was losing my mind. It was like the only pilot that I was like, I would love to do this. Uh, you would love to
0: also to play the role that they're always telling you like to uh, right like yeah, the, yeah, right. I feel like computer nerd you often avoid cuz it's like you know Agreed. been there done that a little bit. But yeah.
1: but there were two X factors, three X factors. One, films in New York. I was like great, right? Two, I've heard such great things about Queen Latifah, Like just her fucking professionalism on set and her decency as a human being. Where I was like, man, I would love to work on a show where Queen Latifah is the star and the producer and presumably bullshit will not fly and no one will be an asshole. Remember,
0: she also had a talk show. I yeah. forgot about that. She did that for uh, a year. A couple number of
1: three, it was a better written computer nerd than most of those shows. Um, mm. sure. But that's what she's supposed to do now. She's supposed to do the Equalizer for CBS.
2: Could I talk about Bessie one more time? Please. <laughs> Okay, so Bessie is one of those movies where I'm I'm a huge fan of Bessie. I I wrote about it, I'm obsessed with it, um mostly just because it's one of the few movies where like Black women are gay. Like it's just the fact that if it had been theatrically released, I feel like her career, her like film career would have jumpstarted, but instead it's on HBO where I feel like not a lot of people watched it. And it's like, we have Queen Latifah being mentored by Monique and no one is talking about it. I think Monique's great in it. Um, And Monique so rarely
0: acts too. So like it was genuinely exciting.
2: And Monique is like, like Monique maybe kind of makes the movie because the movie I love the movie I think it's great Monique I think is what stops it from being like as sad as it could be because she's such like an interesting like presence in the film I feel like you know what I mean since you actually
0: watched it yes I just love her I I know I don't know like why Monique doesn't make a lot of movies I'm sure there's a lot of things going into that but like anytime I see her in a movie it is I was just looking at Monique's She delivers Uh, recent films, almost Christmas blackbird. Like anytime I've, she pops up in something. She's great, but yes, she's playing Ma Rainey and Bessie. She's very funny. She's very, I don't know, intense, how to, how to describe yes, Monique. Yeah, she's,
2: like, very yes. into... Anyway, yeah. I just I just need anyone who's listening to this to please watch
1: Betsy. Yeah, yeah, I, I just, would assume yeah. it's
0: on HBO, it you is, know, Max yeah. or whatever,
1: right? It has to be. I mean, was this before or after we started recording where we were talking about Native Son and how that also fell into, like, an HBO black hole that I feel like... Yeah, we, this uh, is during recording, the, yeah. The tail also fell into that.
2: I yeah. I was just Complaining about like how great the tale Is and yeah. how few people know about it I need to just make a list of just like HBO movies that are great like Bad Education Bad is Education yes. I want like, yes. yeah. people to watch Bad Education right. <laughs>
0: It's one of those things where I feel like it's like if you Have made a small movie like The Tale or Bad Education or Native Son you know and HBO Comes knocking and they're like we're gonna pay you 10 million Dollars for the rights like it's so hard to say No because it's like look this means that everyone Makes their money and like yeah you know, everyone is made whole and the movie will get seen. It'll be, but like it, it sadly does kind of like sweep it into a category of movies that get kind of ignored. Like the tale should have been one of the big movies, like critically of 2018. And and it wasn't
1: like it played at Sundance and everyone was like, fuck Laura Dern might win the Oscar for this. And then it just went to TV and no one really engaged with it. And I feel like very often HBO will pay money Big money, And it's also the promise of we're going to put all our energy behind this. Like if a studio releases this, they might release it on four screens and it might be one of 20 movies they have this Oscar season. We'll give this like a real star birth. But it feels like it's very often movies that either are viewed as difficult subject matter or unconventional subject matter. And and it's just just, the kind of
0: mid-budgety movie where it's like, you know, like, well, how is how are we making this pop? You know, right. I don't know.
1: This is kind of the point I want to make by going through Latifah. Here you have this person who is like a very prominent pop culture figure for 20 years. Right. Like in the 90s sitcom star incredibly successful music star and then is starring in like a lot of canonically important black films. Then the two thousands she translates. She like goes over into mainstream Hollywood is a comedy star is ensemble gets an Oscar nomination, like does all these big things. And then it feels like in the late 2000s, she goes like, okay, I have passion projects that I want to make. I want to play Bessie Smith. I want to do steel Magnolias and Hollywood's like, yeah, you should go to TV like right. it was yeah. don't you want to be she, the
0: next Ellen right maybe like she did she, right? I mean maybe she did for all I know does but it does feel it is, like yeah. she
1: like tried to cash in her capital on these like big passion projects and they were like eh you're not really a movie star anymore and she doesn't really get to be in movies again until she plays the fourth lead in Girls Trip which she's very good at.
2: yeah but yeah she, she it, is is, it is weird cause like uh just like thinking about Steel Magnolias and Bessie which are both like really really good. she's really yeah, great she's and great, steel great in magnolias. both and steel magnolias is actually like one of the best casted remakes i've ever that seen had, it had jill scott everyone works jill scott um god uh i'm alfrey totally, woodard. Alfre, Alfre woodard is in yeah. there yeah. yeah like it's it's great <laughs> yeah um but i uh, but i kind of feel like there's not room for that kind of black movie on the big screen right. right now, and I can't say why that
0: is. The the huge problem of just like so many kinds of movies that we are we are fondly recalling as we speak right now just yeah. don't seem to be able, able to exist in cinemas anymore, which is very frustrating. Like I don't know if Secret Life of Bees exists in 2020, does no. it? Like maybe you know, I like a straight know, to know. Netflix
3: situation
0: probably right like you know I know they still make bestseller you know to movie tra- like but like right. I, I I'm not sure yeah it probably is a tv movie now or a miniseries well, or something I mean what the
1: help is four years after this and is a box office or not, and is also a a steaming pie of poop it is mm. a garbage movie but that it it feels like Like uh, watching this movie, you kind of have to
0: compare it to the help.
2: Unfortunately. Yeah.
0: Right. The difference, the the, the helpful difference is like, at least Dakota Fanning is a child. Like at least she, her being astonished by these things is a little more believable in the help where fucking Emma Stone's like a time traveler. And you're like, where have you been woman? You're a grown ass person. Like what are you, how, why are you behaving this way?
1: But also it's like at least, I, I, this could sound perverse the way i say it but like at least the dakota fan and character has her own struggles in this movie and bonds sure. with other women over like you know the the common sort of disenfranchisement <laughs> they feel with the world rather than the help where emma stone's like huh this is like i can use this to become a very successful writer i can you know like exploit other people's Skeeter? suffering Yes, I'm very aware of that. Um, But that movie is like a lot more pat, is a lot less interested in the interior lives of The Help, despite being the title of the fucking film. Uh, Oh, Yeah.
2: Secret Life of Bees is kind of like you know what you know if you just hang out with the black people you know they're much they're much cooler they're much more chill they have better it's mostly because like in the end she's just like living with these black women and it's just like the idea is that like her life is going to be so much better because she is living with those black women which I think is an interesting thing that they don't really like lean into more this idea that like everybody in the movie that is terrible is white except for her (laughs)
1: that that is the juice to this movie for me is as a hangout movie is this weird 60s like we got this one pink house where everything is pretty cool as long as we're staying within these walls
3: they have a line about how it's like kind of cut off from the rest of the world and i know the same things don't happen inside the house but it reminded me of mother you really don't see any of the world outside of it to the point where you're like is she dead? Like, just like so well, also, heavenly right, and yeah, perfect. Right,
0: exactly. Did she just arrive, right? Like, did she actually fall down a hill and die? Yeah. yeah just imagine.
2: Like, I just love that. Like, when they're in the, have the whole dinner scene, and they're all those black women, including the one who's like, we haven't even talked about Tristan Wilds yet, but I noticed sure. that the, Tristan Wilds, Tristan Wilds mother is played by the actress who played La Fonda in Napoleon Dynamite.
0: Oh uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Shandrella Avery, I believe. Is yeah. Right. yeah the, those scenes. And then like the church scene where it's like, they have like reordered how they approach these things. Like they don't do it like however they're supposed to do it. And that's, Right, They've made their own community. Their house almost feels like Brigadoon, but it's a
1: time portal to a future that we still haven't achieved.
2: Yeah, it's like people are visiting and it's like this like oasis and like Tristan Wilds is coming in and he's chilling. And I still don't know why Tristan Wilds is there or what he's doing, especially because like... What is his point in this movie? Making honey. It's nice to see him.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's nice to see him. I, you know, I remember when he was on the wire. Uh,
1: there was another thing on the special features that really jumped out to me where, uh, Gina was talking about trying to like find her into the material. She also said that like, they offered her this right in like 2002 or 2003. And as she said many times, and we've talked about on this podcast, After doing uh, disappearing acts and love and basketball back to back, she was super burned out and is like, I want to wait a while before I make my next movie. So she said they sent it to her and she just left it in her closet for three years and didn't even look at it until like 2006 or 2005. Um, But she said when she read it, she what she was interested in was um, she was talking to uh, her her husband, uh, Reggie Rockbythwood. And his parents uh, grew up in the South during the civil rights movement, and she was asking them what it was like. And they said, well, it was interesting because it was this time of great upheaval and there was a lot of awfulness going on, but there was also a sense of hope. But I feel like the thing that people don't talk about is we were still just living our lives on a day-to-day basis. Like movies about that time tend to make it seem like everything that was going on was incredibly uh, politically sort of like loaded when in fact we were like eating food and we were falling in love and we were tending to our gardens. And like life does continue in all these very dramatic times. A thing that I think we're all experiencing right now where it like feels like the world is on fire and yet there are things we do on a day-to-day basis that have some sense of normalcy even if they're tinged with the awareness of what's going on at the world at large. And that's sort of like, I feel like the movie that Gina's really into is like, can you have this house that almost feels like a sci-fi conceit where like life progresses one step at a time and these small gestures have like huge implications, but then you step outside of the house and like you get arrested at a movie theater.
0: You yeah. Know? Yeah. They don't even talk about like, let's let's sit together when we get to the, you know what I mean? Like it just, you just see them. Yeah. Uh, doing it but there's also there's the dynamic that august talks about with um lily at the end when they're sort of sharing you know when they're finally talking about her mom where she's like i was your mom's maid like i was her nanny right you know I think like that scene kind that's, of rules that seems good and she's like and that's a dynamic i did not want to repeat right you know they're sort of talking about like you know th- this yeah. This needed to be different that's why i didn't tell you about this and so many so many times in movies like this there's that scene where it's like well i didn't tell you because you just weren't ready which really just means like because because uh, we needed to have this scene later in the movie but like that conversation makes a lot of sense like when they finally have it and sort of open up to each other I because also
1: think that that scene is so well dynamic. written and so well acted from Latifah's uh, uh, vantage point, which is, like, she takes that pause. I mean, what Dakota Fanning asked her, like, did you love my mother? And Latifah sort of says, like, I mean, I loved her, like, with qualifiers. right?" She's right. like, what do you mean? Yeah. In another version of this movie, you'd expect that that's all they'd say about it and brush past it. And Latifa like, unpacks it. And she's like, look, it's like it's an incredibly unbalanced relationship. That's not something that is conducive to an honest form of love. You know, we were so unequal that despite me feeling probably some sort of sense of like maternal love for her, it was wrapped up in this really like contradictory relationship.
0: Yeah, she can order her
1: around like, yeah. And I feel like that's kind of. The fact that at the end of the movie, she ends up sort of claiming mothership of the Dakota Fanning character because that is actually closer to a mother-daughter relationship rather than this weird transactional, like, uh, forced, indentured, like, job sort of relationship, you know? Yeah. That's interesting to me. I mean, there's, like, a lot of interesting threads,
2: While you were talking, I was just thinking about Imitation of Life and like, what if? Yeah, I it's like there's so many like interesting dynamics and like that one. I'm not one of those people that thinks that like old movies are better. But I do think that like they were a bit more curious about this stuff. Like they were like a lot of the curiosity led in like to bad directions and weird directions and, you know, problematic directions. But I don't know. There's just like a little bit more curiosity of like, how is this going to work black people and white people together? What are we doing? (laughs) And that, and that, and that
1: scene with them talking about that relationship made me think of that. I, I think like Hollywood used to be a lot more interested in making what they would call issues pictures and being like, there is a thing, there is a discourse going on in our culture, and we need to make a film that unpacks it. And that unpacking would usually be a series of very complicated conversations between actors. And it feels like more and more Hollywood has advanced, or, or rather sort of degressed to wanting to make films that are just kind of like, this is what happened in the past, and we solved it, book closed.
3: Well, this came out like a month before Obama's elected president. Like I was watching an interview with Alicia Keys and she was like, and I sure hope he's elected. And you're like, oh, wow. There was like a time frame when we weren't sure that wasn't going to like was going to happen. Yeah. And it just feels like this movie is like of that time where it's just kind of focused on the hope of that.
1: The behind the scenes stuff. They're talking a lot about living through the Bush era and the disenfranchisement of the Bush era. And like once again, having this incredible distrust of our country. Um but but I do think yeah Jordane like that we've moved beyond wanting to make films in a hollywood studio level that really engage with difficult conversations
2: yeah, because like a lot of films now, like it's almost like the assumption is that they're made on the assumption that everyone who is watching the movie is progressive yes, or at least knows what that means. And so we don't really have to like we don't have to explain how this is bad or why mm. this is bad. Or uh, we just said it was bad and it was then. And there were these people who fought and it's just like I find it to be a very very boring
0: Well, very and boring. the character like who's like well I, I'm the racist you know like they're like right yes. like there's the movie that's a and then there's the one characters like some people are like oh well I, I, I approve of this progress and then another character's like well I don't approve at all right. I'm the villain now and that's the who I'm gonna Rockwell be and here. The Kevin right. Yeah.
2: this is all- tangentially related but i recently watched um charles burnett's um the glass shield great movie um it's about a black cop who like he becomes a cop because he wants to be a hero and like basically finds out oh it's impossible to be a hero i feel like the glass shield is like a movie about how being a cop is just inherently bad and there's like nothing that you can do to fix it
0: it's much more about him being like told like you have to abide by the rules of you know the brotherhood of policing right like you know which is essentially like whatever we do you you know no snitching and we're you know we're allowed to behave the way we want over whatever idealistic notions you had of like you know being the i believe he's supposed to be like the first black deputy at the sheriff's department right like he's you know he's supposed to you know he's like a a milestone figure
2: yeah, and I so I was watching that, and then I was thinking about Black Klansman, a movie that I do not like. Um, and it basically has a very similar kind of like setup, but then it goes like there are the bad cop, the bad cops, mm. and there are the good cops, sure. and like you can choose to be a good cop and that's how you fix it and and watch and like i just that's kind of how i feel about like films like from like 2008 on where like that's the kind of attitude it's just like they're the good people and they're over there and you just have to be over there where, where the good people are whereas like if i watch we're watching the black the the glass shield actually like I was you know stirred intellectually by a film like it made me think about dynamics you know what I it's mean a good
0: movie. I like that movie a yeah. lot. I mean I think Spike Lee's great cop movie is Inside Man because that movie is very upfront about everything terrible about the NYPD mm. while still being like I am delivering you a really like slick fun you know heist movie but like it makes, you know, it has all those sequences where, like, the weird industry of the NYPD is being deployed. Like, the fences, the machinery, the vehicles, like, you know, they're, like, they're hassling anyone coming out of the build. Like, you know, all that stuff that's just kind of, like, bubbling away. Black Klansman, I feel like he got so hung up on the story, right? Like, the Ron Stallworth story. And, like, I don't know. I I like Black Klansman okay.
1: I I have a handful of things I want to say. I mean, one is... I I remember during the Black Klansman Oscar campaign season uh, when, like, everyone was like, oh, my God, Spike's finally made a movie that's going to, like, cross over at the Oscars. Um, sure. I, I remember talking to a publicist who was part of the Black Klansman team at, at like, a cocktail party, and she was saying to other people in the industry who had not watched black Klansmen like no you don't understand like this movie's actually for white people like that was kind of their selling point on the movie at the time which ties into what you're saying Jordane and also talking about the way that race relations are often dealt with in major films now which is like movies to make liberals feel good movies in which there are very clear-cut like these people are good these people are bad and the journey of the movie is watching the good people succeed over the bad people. And you get to feel good because you knew that the good people were good all along and the bad people exactly. were bad. Like they're very sort of self-serving to the audience. Um, I think Black Klansman is probably the best
0: of those types of movies.
1: Yes,
2: but it's, I will say that. Yes, But it he's, still
0: is he's that He's an box. extremely... He's an exciting filmmaker, even if you're not into the totally. movie.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. The Five Bloods is so much more interesting and fraught to me and the way it's discussing all these weird racial dynamics, uh, you know, in, in a way that also I see the movie being misinterpreted a lot. But I think that's because it's a complicated text, whereas Black Klansman is so cut and dry.
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I mean, Black Clansman, like, there are scenes that I really like, like, the one where they're all dancing and, like, all the, all of the, like, flourishes stuff I enjoy, but yeah, and I will, because I was, like, I think about Secret Life of Bees, which is, like, the exact kind of movie that I would never want to watch, simply because of how kind of, like, Cut and dry things are, but like, mm. but as a hangout movie, it actually works that's much where it better. Works. Yeah, there's yeah, some good hangouts.
0: I mean, there yeah. are yeah. good hangs in the Secret Life of Bees, and making honey seems fun, and the beekeeping scenes, of which there are not enough, are weird.
2: <laughs> not enough bees in this are are a great,
0: They're a great metaphor, right? Because it's like here we are in this incredibly, like you know, like it's, it's very tense. It's sort of dangerous. There's bees flying around, but like, it's also sort of serene. Like she's approaching it in this very methodical and like, you know, a uh, knowledgeable manner. And like, there's no fear because they're in this nice community that they built for themselves, but it's still like an intense and scary place. And like, I dug all the bee stuff. Bees are cool. Like, bees are cool. I, Queen Latifah, like just sort of like, telling me about queen bees i'm like yeah i could i could do like a you know like a sort of like planet earth mini series length of that <laughs> like that would be great um so i was yeah could have done with more bees that's maybe maybe my biggest complaint about this movie not
2: enough not enough bees oh we haven't really talked much about sophie okanato
0: yes okay
1: i was gonna say I, I feel like we briefly have to touch on her and Bethany. So this is like Sofia Canedo, who has been around forever, uh, is like a great British actress at a lot of stage and mm. TV, does Ace Ventura when nature calls where she plays the princess, you know, but then doesn't really have a breakout until like Dirty Pretty Things in 2002 and then Hotel Rwanda in 2004 she doesn't do that many movies, uh, from nineteen ninety one to two thousand four, and then she gets a surprise Oscar nomination, uh, for Hotel Rwanda, mm-hmm. very deserved. Then she has like a run of a couple kind of like post Oscar nomination paycheck roles, Eon Flux, which I feel like I need to watch now. She is like the the wise. I I don't know what does she play in it because I both her and uh, uh Francis McDormand seem to be playing like omniscient leader characters, right? Uh, I don't know. I, I have never, yeah,
0: we should do Kusama. I just think that's, every that's element true. of
1: that movie is fascinating and it was written off at the time. And now I feel like I need to watch it. Cause I'm like, I like Kusama. I like Charlize Theron doing action, but then this is like 2008. This is four years after Rwanda. I feel like everyone's pegging her as like, this is the big Oscar-y performance. This is the key supporting role. This is like the most classically Oscar-y character. And I can't figure out what I think of this performance.
2: Yeah, I, I don't you know, when I was when I was on this podcast before and we had to talk about the new Tandy, Tandi I was, was about Malodin, to say
0: it it is similar. It's a similar fine line thing.
2: I okay, here's the thing though. I think that uh, Sophie has like a better job than Tandy Newton in keeping this yeah. character reigned in. I think so
1: too. Yeah.
2: Um, But I don't, I still don't understand her.
1: Like, she's a very mysterious character to me. Well, well she's sort of oddly defined where it, it's like, this is sort of a woman post Breakdown. They try to make it seem like rather than someone who was born developmentally disabled yeah. in any sort of way.
3: I was kind of I was hoping they would say, I don't know, I maybe it says it in the book, like how her sister died. It seemed the way I kind of chose to see it for it to make sense was that basically she was like developmentally stunted in a way or emotionally kind of stunted when she went through such an awful thing is like the loss of a sister and the loss of like a twin.
1: Well, but they also, they talk about it, like unpack it a little bit in that her relationship with her sister was so symbiotic, which I feel like is often the case with twins at a young age. I mean, you hear all these stories about twins having their own sort of secret language. Um, You know, it's often like parents of twins have a hard time teaching them to speak because twins figure out how to communicate with each other in a way that is not conventionally verbal. Um, so it's the idea that like, they're so bonded. She's perhaps a more empathetic person to begin with. And that, you know, she has this sort of breakdown after her sister dies, this sort of like post-traumatic breakdown, and that they bring her to all these doctors who can't diagnose what's wrong with her, but just want to institutionalize her. And so they have like, foregone any sort of institutionalization, uh, and tried to figure out how to like teach May to cope on her own. But it is very much this kind of classic, like, oscar you're playing someone who is sort of childlike and sees the world differently performance with a lot of affectation. I feel like she does it better than most, but much like mm-hmm. Jordane, you're saying this is the exact type of movie you don't like. That's sort of the exact type of performance I'm least interested in. It, it,
0: it's a character that's tough.
2: Yeah, no, I yeah, I really don't like that kind of thing. But she I like the actress so much that it didn't piss me off, I think, as much as it would have.
1: I I think she does it she's a good actor pretty well, but it does still fall into that thing of like actors viewing a a character's challenges as an opportunity for a skill piece. You know, it becomes that sort of show-offy, like, look how well I can play this person's circumstances thing. That always feels a little gross to me
2: yeah you know the ed norton specialty yes
1: Yes. we talked about this i feel like (laughs) on beloved as well the edward norton thing of just like oh my god look how many ticks i get to play here
2: (laughs) but yeah i don't know she's 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 fine i you know it's weird that she gets the death because i don't know it's one of those things where like that, I guess that is the kind of character that would get best supporting someone who's, like, not there for very much yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then dies.
0: And cries a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: yeah. and it also feels like a bummer because it's that kind of, like, oh, this character is the innocent who needs to die as, like, the martyr for everyone else to go through some catharsis. The whole construction of it feels kind of cynical to me.
0: Um, but it's very typical to these kinds of movies that there's like right there will be a big death in the third act and it will sort of shake everything up and as you say right yeah
1: the last performance I want to talk about very briefly before we get to the box office game is this is just the the height of Paul Bettany's like you know what I absolutely do not want to be a conventionally sexy movie star run where (laughs) Hollywood is just like this guy is so handsome and so charming and he's like oh only play the least appealing people in the world (laughs) and he's doing like this and Da Vinci
0: Code yeah Da Vinci Code for sure he plays a lot of villains you know he's still in his movie star period because Legion is after this where he's a shirtless angel with a machine gun so but that is not the
1: weirdest movie to want to finally be a conventional movie star in he's like oh you guys want me to be like a buff superhero I'll do Legion which is fucking bug nuts and made two dollars (laughs) <laughs> he also does priest he did both of those when
3: did he they do Night's tale is that early 2000 Night's Tale? that's
0: that's breakout yes. no Bettany. that's, that's right. when everyone's like fuck this guy is outrageous like right. he's in gangster number one is young malcolm mcdowell and everyone right. in britain is like oh this guy's like a talent and then he has Night's tale and a beautiful mind in the same year right and, and, and Night's tale like, was oh.
1: brian hedgeland wanted him to play the heath ledger role and they went to the studio, and they were like, "Absolutely not! You have to get someone who's also already well known." So he writes that best friend character.
0: It, he for no, It's Paul Jeffrey, Chaucer. He Ch- Jeffrey Chaucer. He plays Jeffrey Chaucer as his best friend and hype man. It's great. It's a great performance.
2: Uh, what a what a perfect movie. It's Which a perfect change,
0: movie. Obviously, his <laughs> performance in Master <laughs> Commander is one of the great, like you know, things in that I've experienced in my life. That I but think about the all the point, time. But
1: this is the point: is like. All these directors were like, fuck, Bettany, that guy's got the juice, right? And so everyone gives him the best friend role to like these big movie stars and he's playing like Heath Ledger's best friend, Russell Crowe's best friend twice and people are like, come on, this is like, it's gonna happen, right? The guy's so handsome, he's so charming when you see him in interviews. He does Wimbledon, which is like, here we go, rom-com, him, Kirsten Dunst and he always A talks Brit about rom-com. Like, yeah. And he like hated it. He was like, I yeah. hate this, I don't like playing these types of characters, I'm done. And then he's yeah. just like, villain, 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 scumbag, he, scumbag. He, he like just Dogville,
0: dang Firewall, ass freaks yeah
1: da vinci code the only big movie he stars in playing a non-creep is the voice of jarvis in iron man and then he's like doubling down secret life of bees young victoria he's like i want to direct a film or no no he didn't direct creation i always think no he did.
0: that was a passion project for him but he didn't direct it i think right. that he just wanted to do that that's his passion project i think he put a lot of uh his heft into that, and when it didn't work, that's when his career starts to wind right. down. He does Priest him with both bomb, right.
1: and then it, the thing that saves him is being brought back into Avengers.
0: Is, is the Vision thing, yeah, right? Uh, um, but, but since you know, then, his career is
1: like what four Marvel movies and solo. He, hasn't well, done he that has this modern.
0: movie at Sundance called Uncle Frank that he's the star of that he's good in. It's a very big actory performance, another Southern movie. Uh, it's a bad movie. Capital B, mm. bad movie. Alan Ball, you know, 1970s road movie. Gay guy goes home, confronts his past. Everything <laughs> about it. Like, you know how that sounds annoying? It's annoying, but he is <laughs> he good. So he he is certainly good, and it's sort of a, one of those things. Where you're like, oh yeah, right. I mean, if you let him at something,
2: I do love the like actors whenever they're trying to be like, yeah, we're really going for it. They want to play like a southerner. Why does everybody want to play a southerner? Everyone is so Br- bad Brits, at it.
0: Brits love the accents. They just I love to fuck it. around <laughs> with accents. I, I forgot he also he played uh, the Unabomber in that in right. the Unabomber show. I never watched that.
1: I, but, uh, I think that's it's another, another dang ass freak I think it's another like skill piece talent show thing Jordane I think it's like the southern accent is like such a meal as an actor and you have so many like regional specificities depending on what era you're in and what specific city and state you're in that actors are just like let me add it let me add it I want to spend six months listening to like tapes of like southern baptists <laughs> in the 1970s like they just love that Gosh. kind of shit
0: uh, Uncle Frank. Yeah. I assume one day when the coronavirus subsides, Uncle Frank will be unleashed on society and then we'll all get to deal with that fucking thing. But I saw it.
2: Wait, was that at Sundance this year?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it got bought by somebody. Okay. Yeah,
2: no, I mostly saw good movies at Sundance yeah, this year. Yeah, I actually had a great <laughs>
0: Sundance and Uncle Frank was one where I was like sitting down and I was like, Alan Ball, I don't know about this. And then, you know, it's uh, Amazon bought it. So I guess Amazon will, all right, Oh, uh, terrible it's done many bad things. Guys, Uh, let's play the box office game unless we... Oh, go ahead, Griffin.
1: No, all I was gonna say is it's just wild to think that within this calendar year, Sundance happened like properly like at the yeah. last moment that you could have a film festival Sundance happened a lot of big movies premiered big acquisitions happened and now we're like will there ever be a film festival again will movies right. ever be released in theaters but that was like Tiff is
2: going to be in t- online
0: for yeah, press like, I think what the press can't wait isn't coming this? at all can't wait to log on for TIF.
1: <laughs> Tiff. okay <laughs> box office game box all off right, this game. is
0: a wild box office game it's October 17 2008 Secret Life of Bees is opening to $10 million at number three. It makes 37.
1: Yeah, it's you know, a big release. And you're also okay. like,
0: it, it probably never stops
1: being played in English classes, as you said, Jourdain. This is such a yeah. high school, middle school,
0: yes. I assume it's it's in the mix in some cable channel. I and don't know. Who look, knows?
1: The book continues to sell well. There was a Secret Life sure. of Bees musical that was about to open yes. off-Broadway with Lashans and uh, Lynn Nottage wrote the adaptation with Duncan Sheik writing the music. Wow. Maybe it's good. Sam Gold directed it. Like it was like hyped up as like, this might be a big Broadway musical and then Broadway shut down as well. But it's like, clearly this material still seems to have uh, juice. I don't know. People like finding about that secret life that bees live. Um, You think they're going to have
3: real bees on stage?
1: They
0: should. They should unleash them. Every <laughs> performance. The bees are the chorus. They're a bunch of dancers. People in bee bees. costumes yes, exactly.
3: like the early SNL days. Is this just... Jerry Seinfeld from Bee Movie like descending yes. from the ceiling?
1: I, I think Jordan is right. I think they should reuse the exact Killer Bee's costumes. I think the entire ensemble of dancers and chorus singers should be wearing Elliot Gould's sweaty bee
0: costume from 1976. <laughs> <laughs> Now, number one at the box office is Mm. a video game
1: movie. Uh, It's new this
0: weekend. Yes. Um, So it's not Silent Hill. No, it's unfortunately a video game I've played so many times, and I have played its sequel. Um, Do you like the game? I do like the game. It's absurd, but I like the first two games. I did not like the third one. Um, Here's a question. uh, Was this like...
1: Was this a pretty quick adaptation or was it in the works for a while after the game? Like, It what's was, the space it was between in the, the works first game f- the
0: work? seven years. It was in the works wow. for a while, but it was one of those video games, even though it came out back, you know, in, when video games were, you know, a little a little less cinematic like that. It kind of felt like they were like, turn this into a movie like it was oh, a very movie. Oh, it's game. Max Payne. That's right. Yes. I remember With, uh, yes. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah,
1: because that game was so cinematic. I loved that first game too when it came out. Everyone's like, oh man, it just feels like you're playing a movie. And then by the time they made it into a movie, everyone's like, we don't
0: really need to see this. Yeah, Max Payne. That's okay. His Max name's Payne. Max Payne. He feels pain.
2: I have no idea what that is, but okay. okay.
0: Yeah. Well, Mark in the video game, he kills and
1: shoots he, people.
0: Yeah, you're a, you're a cop whose family gets murdered and then you go on the rampage. Um, But uh, in the video game, You could go into bullet time because it was right after the matrix. So you could slow things down. David, you are Um, leaving
1: out the most important detail. What? That's the element that made everyone think, Oh my God, this game is so cinematic. You get to do bullet time sequence. What activates bullet time sequence?
0: No, you, it's not taking pills. If that's what you're about to say. Really? I remember it being that you would take painkillers. No. And then go into painkillers to reduce your, you know, to, to, to heal yourself. Are you sure? You, you, yes, You enter bullet time. time by right clicking. Come on, I played Max Payne. No, let's let's, okay. let's, let's, let's I not am mess around. Up
2: Max Payne. This is so because I was I was a film snob in, in high school, so I would never watch anything like this. I was just <laughs>
0: watching <laughs> you, you didn't want to see Max Payne? The guy's name is Max Payne. Do you understand? There's a subtle illusion.
2: I was an insufferable kid. I was an insufferable teen. Right. <laughs> I'm just um, looking at
1: the Max Payne film Wikipedia entry. That's the
2: one with Mila Kunis in it. I yes. knew Mila Kunis was in a yes. movie that I that I was like, I like her, but I don't want to watch this. Okay, that was Max Payne. Right, because this <laughs> is the
1: same year as Forgetting Sarah Marshall, when she's yes. starting to like. Right. Um, I the poster on Wikipedia for Max Payne. You know, a movie that's called Max Payne, right? It's not really, like, trafficking in subtlety. No. The the poster is Mark Wahlberg on his knees in the middle of a city street in the rain, yep. looking up to the heavens, holding yep. a, a handgun in each hand. Like, it looks like this is the most tortured anti-hero <laughs> He's in so much pain.
0: It's black and white with the red, which is sort of like it's like a Sin City ripoff. They're yeah. going they're clearly trying to sell you on like this will be like Sin City. Yes. Or more um, like
2: the spirit, It'll the, be like right. The
0: spirit. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Okay, so Max Payne's. Um, so Max at the Payne, box number office. one huge uh, film. Number Everyone two, it. Griffin, it's a film that's come at the box office game before. It's a Disney film. It's a children's film. It's Bolt? an animal film. Bolt. It's not Bolt. It's not Bolt. No, two
1: thousand eight. Uh, it's live action or animated hybrid.
0: I believe it's uh live action, but certainly there's some. So then it's Beverly Hills Chihuahua. CG, yeah. It's Beverly Hills Chihuahua. We've talked about it before. I can't remember when it came up, Griff, but it was in some other box office game. Um, I think it came up in our Roger Gosnell miniseries. Did it not? <laughs> right. Of course. Yes. Directed by Never Roger Gosnell. Never been podcasted. Yeah. Um, so Beverly Hills Chihuahua anyone wants to say anything about it no okay we're moving on no, to absolutely. the number four Nothing film at the box office another Oscar failed Oscar play a biopic by a big director but he's kind of on the downswing I, I, I'm sorry to move backwards I have one brief oh, thing Jesus. I want to say about Beverly Hills Chihuahua you opened
1: the floor <laughs> I'm allowed I close to the say the floor? no I right, reopened it for a second Beverly Hills Chihuahua is an interesting phenomenon to me which I feel like it's very paired up with Kangaroo Jack where the trailer is focused on one sequence that is not indicative of the rest of the movie. So Kangaroo Jack was sold so entirely on this the sequence of Kangaroo Jack talking to the camera right, and rapping. They had
3: to add more of it.
1: No, most of the movie is a completely non-anthropomorphized kangaroo who's being chased by Anthony Anderson and Jerry O'Connell because the kangaroo has money in its pouch which they need to right. recover. And then well, there's a the jacket that they
3: put on the kangaroo for fun. <laughs> Cuz they thought it was funny
1: to take a selfie. Right, it's right. a pretty good premise. I mean, I'm laughing. <laughs> But there's one scene in which Jerry O'Connell gets knocked out and has this hallucination in which the kangaroo talks to him and raps. And the advertising campaign was entirely based around the talking kangaroo, which is not... I was
2: so angry about that right. as a kid. Like, I was like, where is the kangaroo? <laughs>
1: Who? I don't care about Anthony Anderson. I want the kangaroo. Wait, right. they just made it seem like that was going to be the entire movie. Snow Dogs did a similar thing with it with its dream sequence, which is the only sequence where the dogs talk. Beverly Hills Chihuahua is even weirder because it is about talking chihuahuas, but the trailer was just this entirely CGI, like Aztec monument with chihuahuas doing a big Busby Berkeley number and singing. So they advertised it as if it was Happy Feet for chihuahuas. And then the movie is like a chihuahua gets lost and has to find its way back home.
3: But is it like more focused on humans or it's still just focused on the dogs?
1: I'd say it's closer to like it's it's half and half, but it's not what the trailer made it seem, which is a Happy Feet-esque. Here's just a world, a society of chihuahuas singing and dancing. Anyway, the floor is closed on Beverly Hills Chihuahua. It's a biography, Griffin. Four. Number um, three is bees.
0: Wait. Go ahead.
2: Oh, can can I answer? Yes, Please. of course. Um, I think, is it Jay Edgar?
0: It's not mm. Jay Edgar. A great guess. Another Buy a pick from a big director that no one gave a shit about. This is. Is it a
2: singer
3: or is this era over? No, no it's
0: play. political. So you know you're you're in the right in the right wheelhouse there. And is um, it a failed
1: Oscar play? Does it get yeah, any nominations? no, no,
0: no Oscars for this this one. Oh, it's W. It's W. Oliver oh, Stone's yeah. W. Yeah. Released while Bush is still in office. A Josh very Brolin. bizarre movie. You know, not, not, a,
2: not a bad movie. I was surprised at how much it, I watched a bunch of political movies at the beginning of quarantine because mm. I was I don't I don't remember what my reasoning was. It was some kind of I was annoyed with white people and I wanted to understand how, why they mythologize the presidency. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Um, <laughs> and so I was and, and I so I watched W and like out of all of them, it was the one that annoyed me the least.
1: But
0: Tandy still- as Condi
1: Rice. We were talking Tandy, of course. It's my favorite Tandy performance. I think she's excellent in it. She's,
3: she's great right? in that movie. Did she <laughs> talk about that in her interview? She did. And she,
1: she said she felt very betrayed by the movie because she thought the film was going to be a lot toothier. And so she's giving this like very big performance. And then as the film went on, Oliver Stone kept on sort of like dulling it down. It is the ultimate, as you said for Dane, it is the ultimate... Not bad, but also not good movie. Like it's I don't very understand that movie, yeah. bizarre that Oliver Stone made a George W. Bush film in two thousand eight while he was still in office, and the movie is just kind of in the middle. Like it's not annoying, but it has no strong angle on anything outside of Tandy Newton, who I think is giving the the most sort of like pointed performance in the
0: whole film.
2: Yeah, I just like I mean, it annoys me less than Vice does, oh, so that's
0: nice. It is oh, much Vice better is than fucking Vice. Fucking terrible. Yeah. I mm, <laughs> God, I wonder though, is is Vice more interesting than W no, just because no, it's w so bad? Better. W is better. <laughs> No, I'm W's not talking about no. better. I'm not talking about better. Better w, is the conversation.
1: W is more interesting because it is it It's so milk to toast
0: yes. and it was directed by a maniac. I don't I, whatever. W. Weird. I don't know.
2: It, yeah. It's a question like, mark. JFK, that one. which I JFK, which I hate is like, I hate it, but like you can tell how much Oliver Stone loved making it and to yeah. compare it to W. It doesn't make sense.
0: It's very weird. <laughs> um, the number fifth film at the box office, I feel like it also comes up a lot for us. It's an actor having a big star moment. Uh, it is technically a hit as Griffin, you often like to remind me. Um, They made a hundred million dollars, you know, like everything's going great for this guy. It's a thriller, sort of a chase movie, sort of a spy movie, but
1: doesn't exist. Killing it. It's a spy movie. It does. Oh, it's Eagle Eye. Eagle
0: Eye. Shia. I feel like I constantly
1: have to remind people how consistent Shia's run was there
0: right but i do think i think eagle eye is one of those fake hits where yes the studio crawled it over 100 million dollars mm-hmm. yes people saw it but not one person knows that movie exists no uh it like you know had no it, i already it does,
2: forgot which movie you're talking about eagle Eye, what talking?
0: the eye is eye. looking it's you know
2: eagle oh oh okay okay got it got it i I've, I've seen seen eagle eye i do not remember it (laughs) i
0: remember that in the trailer you know because he's getting framed or whatever right he gets dragged into a room and he's like what's going on and billy bob thornton comes in and says you're in a whole mess of trouble son absolutely and i'm like i do not want billy bob thornton to ever say that to me that that's when you know you're in trouble when billy bob thornton is entering the room he's clearly an agent of some sort of you know government and he says you're in a mess of trouble Worst case scenario.
1: The, The reason I bring it up so much is that movie comes out sandwiched in between Indiana Jones and Transformers 2. And Spielberg was so behind Shia... Like DreamWorks produces *Disturbia*, he plucks him from that and puts him in *Transformers*, then makes him the new like hope for Indiana Jones. And Spielberg kept on doing the press, being like, "I'm telling you, this guy is Tom Hanks. Shia LaBeouf is Tom Hanks. He's going to be America's favorite, super likable, non problematic movie star." And then *Eagle Eye* is the one where they were like, "Here you go. We're putting him in a new movie where it's not based on pre existing IP." After these blockbusters, he has a big sequel lined up. He's gonna hit a hundred million by himself without any sort of attached franchise. And then after that, he does Transformers Two, Wall Street Two, Transformers Three, and then is like, "I fucking hate being a movie star." That's when Shia starts like eating Hollywood.
0: Remember when he watched all his movies at the IFC center or yeah. Angelica, wherever it was. Look,
1: I'm pro Shia. I just think that film's fascinating as the last gasp of is, there's good and bad. The Spielberg movie star machinery. Like we're going to make this guy work.
3: Yeah. I still haven't yeah. seen honey boy. Have you guys seen it?
1: Yeah. I'm a It's big fan.
3: great.
1: Big fan. I love honey boy. Honey
0: boy's good. That is it. You've also got Ridley Scott's body of lies. Doesn't exist. You've got, uh, Ooh, topical Quarantine. Remember that movie? Uh, you also have opening at nine, ninth, uh, sex drive the movie where the kids have to drive because of sex. sex. Yes, yes.
2: I, I, I was a big fan of sex drive. I mean, I was the right age to give. I a remember shit about it being cute. <laughs> I, I love
3: a movie title that just says exactly what it is. That is, is exactly yeah. what they it have is to go on a sex drive,
2: exactly those things. <laughs> <laughs> and also, a lot of Amish people, and also Fall Out Boy show up. I Fall Out Boy is in it physically. Yes. Fall Out Boy physically <laughs> shows up.
0: They play themselves. Yes. Wow. Great. Uh, I, I remember Marsden James Marsden pops yes. up. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Seth
1: Green plays one of the Amish people, right? Yes, he does. Yeah. He's very funny in that movie.
0: <laughs> it's one of those tail end movies from the sort of like, you know, teen sex comedy. Like the American Yeah. Yeah. Like of. it's one of the last ones where they're like, we can still just fucking throw this shit at the screen. Right. And I feel like it just eventually they just stopped, I guess. Yeah
2: sex drive is really at the tail end. Like it's, it's sex drive. It's easy. A. And then I don't really know if there's really anything. after yeah, EZA I guess a a easy.
0: Right. Was sort of like, yeah, let's do a higher quality version of these. Right. <laughs> Not that I mean, they're yeah. like super bad or whatever, you know, but like, right. It's a, yeah.
2: They like
3: learn about the scarlet letter and it's like interwoven right. into the plot as opposed right. to just like, One of those.
1: but know. sex drives feels like the last of like the R rated sex
0: based yeah teen well it's just like right. what's Very the plot much. they want to fuck yeah oh, they right. do they oh, wait, tell me more i don't know right. they need a car like you know it's just <laughs> but, you know, it's a I, lot I also, going on the
2: joke in that movie where like clark duke is the hot guy i love that child. oh yeah like, right. that's that's yeah. that's the weird joke of the movie it's that like everybody thinks that he's hot and that's supposed to be fun i don't is he
1: point yeah like, <laughs> no but it yeah, is it's pretty hard huh? joke which i always find funny which is just yeah. like put a character on screen who does not seem conventionally sexy and have everyone in the universe of the movie lose their minds over him
2: he literally right. like a woman one of the amish w- girls falls in love with him and he just moves into the amish community <laughs> like that's right. that's the ending for that character pretty
1: cool pretty <laughs> yeah. fucking
0: cool
2: but 2008 seems like a Bad year for movies seems like it Well
0: it's 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 the slum dog year which is right. yeah so it's a weird year like I'm sure you know like there's good movies that you're it is it's kind of the big it's the big year because that's the Iron Man year. So it is kind of the beginning of the end and, in a way. And and dark knight right? it's it's oh. the and year dark that knight. breaks Hollywood. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's the year oh, where it's like know. oh fuck
2: my favorite movie from 2008 was Synecdoche, New
1: York. Uh, also yeah. my Gitto. favorite movie from 2008. One of my yes. ten yes. favorite movies of all time.
0: Um, um, yeah. Yes, yes.
1: But but 2008 is the year where Iron Man and Dark Knight like roll the die. They cast the die for the next 10 years of Hollywood. And also the year in which the Oscars start losing their fucking minds because they don't nominate Dark Knight. And they start like
3: doing like the... 10 movie thing they do
1: the 10 the following year because this year the five is so bad and they feel like they lose ratings because they don't nominate dark Knight, So then they go chasing that like 2008 the beginning of the end for everything yeah anyway this has been our episode on the secret life of bees <laughs> <laughs> buzz <biz, biz. laughs> buzz buzz yeah uh Jordane, thank you so much for coming back on the show
2: of course of course also did this come out the same year as b movie
1: Hmm. I think B movie uh, might uh, B be a year prior. Seven. B movie yes. comes out when I'm in college. So that's a America has B
0: fever. Yes. <laughs> it like, B
2: fever? Anyway. Right.
1: <laughs>
0: right as, have, we, as we know from B movie, Honey just got funny. So, like, you know, know obviously. That. Right. Uh, Jordan, people should listen to your podcast. Uh, Bad Romance. Yeah,
1: uh, cool. You co host with the great uh, Brown Ariel Isaac, and then Browse held high. You co-host with uh, Kyle, uh, your partner, and that's accessible on Patreon.
2: Yes. Yeah, that's on Patreon. We need to. Kyle is very new to podcasts, so I'm going to show him how to like put it online so that other people can listen to it. But yeah, it's it's us talking about art house films. The first episode is on Antichrist. Um, The second episode is on Peter Greenaway's The Pillow Book. Yeah. So like, I think we might be doing High Rise next. So that'll be fun. I, I, I gotta say,
1: high rise is a movie I've been thinking a about lot next a, a lot recently. Kyle off screen saying he's pro high rise.
2: Kyle now on screen, <laughs> real quick. I'm
1: um, um, fetching pants. Don't mind me. He's, yeah, yeah, no he's just here for pants. I, I keep on thinking about high rise while being in lockdown. That's all I'm gonna high say. High rise good. High rise yeah. good. High rise good. Um, and thank you for being on the show, Jordan. Of course um, And thank you all For listening Please remember to <laughs> Sometimes rate, Sometimes I feel subscribe. like you just don't
0: want to end the show, Griffin <laughs> <laughs> Yeah it, It's
1: almost like this is Maybe the only form of social interaction I have
0: uh, anymore Well, I love to interact It's yeah. great to interact
1: But David, the point is mm. We gotta thank Lane Montgomery for our theme song Sure we gotta thank Pat Reynolds and Joe Barn for our artwork, and and for co-producing the show, and Rachel Jacobs for her editing assistance. And we gotta tell people, we gotta tell them to go to Patreon.com back backslash blank check where they can listen to Mission Impossible commentaries. And we gotta tell them to go to Reddit.com, Griffin backslash please <laughs> stop. For some real nerdy shit.
0: This is interminable.
1: And David, David, look me in the eyes. Mm. Look at me in the eyes, David. Mm-hmm. And as always, David, mm. I gotta tell you
0: that you got me straight tripping. No
2: god. god, get out.
0: How do I mute another person on Zoom?